you're in the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. So last week we had a really, really fascinating couple of shows. Of course, we featured Philip Mantle, not on the regular episode of the Paracast, but on the supplementary show after the Paracast. And that's where we have William Puckett every week with the newest sightings. And Philip was telling us how he got into the publishing business. I don't think he regrets it, but he's got a lot of interesting books and we've had a lot of fascinating guests as a result. And twice now we've had Calvin Parker. And of course, Calvin was involved in that Pascagoula sighting with Charles Sixon back in 1973. As far as Philip is concerned, if you want to hear that episode, it's only available to subscribers of Paracast Plus, our premium service. So for more information, go to plus.theparacast.com, plus.theparacast.com, and learn how to subscribe and hear all of these extra shows. We also give you a version of this show free of the network ads. Want to mention that. In any case, we also have Kevin D. Randall joining us for about the 27th time now. He's one of our favorite regular guests. I haven't added up how many times he's been here. It wasn't yesterday, right, Kevin? It was not yesterday. Okay. We're in agreement then. Anyway, I wanted to get back to Calvin Parker. And I know Kevin's going to have something to say about this. Now, Calvin mentioned being hypnotized several times. First, not long after the case. Was it three times, Randall, or four times? I've lost track. Uh, it was right after the case in the first couple of years. Then in 1993 by Bud Hopkins. A really early one that happened fairly soon after the, the incident, uh, according to one of our forum posters. So then, And then we had Hopkins and then the latest one was Kathleen Martin. Yeah, Kathleen was back in September. Now, of course, the big question we ask, and Kevin Randall understands why I'm asking it, is to what extent is it possible that his memories of those cases were somehow corrupted by those hypnotic sessions. Now, obviously, without having analyzed the person directly, what's your perception, Kevin Randall? Do you think as his memories expand to include an additional abduction, maybe Calvin Parker had suffered from having his memories corrupted somehow? If you look at the way Bud Hopkins conducted his hypnotic regression sessions, you can see that he manipulated the data, I guess. Uh, I don't think Bud was aware of what he was doing, but under hypnotic regression, it is very simple to lead the subject to a place he or she doesn't want to go. Bud Hopkins had challenged people one time a number of years ago to show a place where he had led the witness during his uh, hypnotic regression sessions. And I said, sure, challenge accepted and went through his books and saw the way that he was subtly doing this. I don't think he realized what was going on. And one of the things they did was you you get a subject and they reach a point and they say, I do not remember anymore. And the hypnotist, the operator, says repeatedly, you can see more. Let's pretend you're on an elevator. Let's pretend you're looking over a wall. Let's pretend we're doing this or another thing. You can get more. You can get more. And this is telling the subject that the operator wants more information. So he is, and and in this case, Bud Hopkins, is coaching the witness on coming up with more information. And it often happens. In one of the Hopkins transcripts, and it's in his books, the subject says, I do not remember anymore. And Hopkins says, well, yes, you can. You can remember more. 
And you can see the subtle manipulation going on there. So yeah, it's very simple to corrupt the memories. When I've been involved in this sort of thing, the, the hypnotic regression, and it was in a book that I'd done called Conversations, which I think is a wonderful little book, and nobody ever reads the darn thing. But it deals with a woman who believed she had been abducted, and it turned out she was talking about a past life, past life, it turned into a past life regression. And the hypnotist that I was using and I were very, very careful on how we asked the questions, because a question can imply its own answer, a leading question. We were trying to avoid that at all costs. And the other thing we did, I would never speak during the sessions. If I had a question I wanted asked, I would write it out and hand it to the the hypnotist, and he would ask the questions of the subject. But it's very simple to manipulate the data. Dr. Harder, who worked for APRO as their director of research and did a lot of hypnotic regression, and I was working with him on the Pat Roach case in Utah. At the time, I was very young and naive, and he says, well, people can't lie under hypnosis and blah, 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 and it turns out, well, that's simply untrue. They can make up everything under hypnosis if they want to, if the operator's leading them in the directions. And what I noticed later on was that he was careful in the uh, hypnotic regression sessions, although some of his questions were quite leading, but between sessions, and we had a number of sessions with Pat Roach, and he would discuss other abduction cases uh, with her. And one of the things I remember is him talking about Betty Hill. Harder at the time was trying to validate the Hill case by finding additional witnesses to similar types of abduction who wouldn't have been primed by the Hill case. And yet that's exactly what he was doing. Uh, and he was talking about how Betty Hill had believed that she had been examined by the alien creatures, and that she thought there were lots of little Betty Hills running around out there. And I think that was a, a quote from her, you know, a lot of little Betty Hills running around out there. And in the very next session, in the hypnotic regression, Pat says, I do not remember being examined, but I know I was. And so Harder had suddenly implanted that idea with her between sessions. And it wasn't like we were doing, you know, here's a session, we'll take an hour off, here's a session. This in, whole thing transpired over several days. So it wasn't that uh, we were kind of running her ragged or anything like that. So it was kind of left to her schedule and how she wanted to run it. But I noticed Harder, and I, I didn't notice it at the time, but I realized later that that was what Harder was doing. So yes, if under hypnotic regression, it's very, very easy to corrupt the memories. But the other thing you have to remember is that Oftentimes, you don't even need the hypnotic sessions to corrupt the memories. Calvin Parker was abducted in 1973, which is many, many years ago. Since that time, how many programs have been devoted to alien abduction? How many programs have been devoted to the Hicks and Parker abduction? How many books have discussed that? Me included in, in some of that writing of that. And if one of those writers or one of those documentaries or one of those programs gets something wrong, suddenly wrong, and Calvin sees that, he can incorporate that into its memory. I think Elizabeth Lofton, who did a lot of work on memory and how easy it was to implant memories and how easy it was to do it without realizing it, uh, by um, showing a, a, a video, a movie of a traffic accident. And then she would ask specific questions like, did the green car run the stoplight? And the answer was, 
there was no green car and there was no stoplight. It was a stop sign and it was like a red car. But a number of the people would say, yes, the green car ran the stoplight. I remember the green car running the stoplight. So that memory was implanted subtly in, into the subject mind uh, simply by asking that particular question. So the, the, that's the long form answer to yes, his memory could have been corrupted, which does not mean it was corrupted. Now, I do remember here, the interview that Chris O'Brien and I did a few years back with Dr. David Jacobs, who used, I gather, the same methods as Bud Hopkins. And we asked him about leading questions, and he basically said, there are no leading questions. Now, we can all consider the possibilities here. Now, one thing I did notice in our interview with Calvin Parker, he's a smart guy, and he said that one thing he observed about Bud Hopkins was that he was asking leading questions, but that Kathleen Martin did not. That doesn't mean that something was or wasn't screwed up in his memory of events, but there are some things there that we had questions about. And we'll get into more of this in hypnotic regression and a thousand other subjects. So this week we have Kevin D. Randall, author of many, many, many books that you want to check out. And he's got this site, A Different Perspective. And if you look up Kevin D. Randall on a different perspective, you don't have to remember the URL. It's easy enough to find. Kevin Randall, Gene Steinberg, J. Randall Murphy, you're in. The Paracast. We also have swag. You know, we have all these exclusive Paracast things that you can buy. We've got like, I guess, 60 or so different items and entails T-shirts, sleeves for notebook computers, iPad cases, mouse pads, the Paracast Jumbo tote bag, all sorts of T-shirts and jackets and stuff like that for men and women. We have a Paracast aluminum water bottle. All this stuff, you go to store.theparacast.com, store.theparacast.com. What makes it special is that the items are the best quality, you know, great T-shirts, fabrics, and they have our official logo on them. That's what makes them special in multiple sizes and colors. We even have stuff for children, stuff for women, stuff for men. We have all sorts of sizes, like small up to X large. A lot of good stuff. That's the swag from the Paracast. You go to store.theparacast.com. Stop by and take a shopping tour. The Hebo Tea Club's original pure Pouty Arco Super Tea comes from the only tree in the world that fungus does not grow on. So it naturally has antifungal, antiviral, antibacterial, anti-infection, anti-inflammation, and anti-parasite properties. But maybe more importantly, the Hebo Tea Club's original pure Pouty Arco Super Tea builds corpuscles in the blood, which carry oxygen to our organs and cells. Our organs and cells need oxygen to regenerate themselves. The immune system needs oxygen to develop and cancer happens to die in oxygen. The tea is great for healthy people and can truly be miraculous for someone fighting a potentially life-threatening disease due to an infection, diabetes, or cancer. The Hebo Tea Club's original pure Pau de Arco Super Tea is only $34.95 plus shipping. Order now at ShopSuperTea.com or call 818-984-6100. That's ShopSuperTea.com or call 818-984-6100. ShopSuperTea.com.
Complement your health with hemp-derived cannabinoid oil. We've always believed that the closer to Earth, the better it is for our bodies. Our hemp-derived cannabinoid oil is phytocannabinoid-rich, full-spectrum, and organically grown. Finally, hemp made easy, clean, and effective. GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. That's right, we cut through the red tape. It's now available at GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. Policies issued by American General Life Insurance Company, Houston, Texas. Not available in all states. For details, visit AIGdirect.com. It takes a lot of courage to face your own death, but I'm glad I finally did. See, I was putting off getting life insurance to protect my family, even though I knew it was important. Then my neighbor's husband died. I watched her struggle emotionally and financially. It really made me face reality. If my husband died, how would I pay the mortgage, the car payments, or keep up the life the kids and I had? I realized I needed to get us life insurance right away. So I called AIG Direct. In less than five minutes, I had a quote. I was shocked at how affordable it is. Just $14 a month for $250,000 of term life coverage. I feel so much better knowing my family has protection. Call AIG Direct right now for a free no-obligation quote. The call takes less than five minutes, and you can save up to 70%. Call now, 1-800-613-2646. That's 1-800-613-2646. 1-800-613-2646. Do you feel like many of us? All the distractions in the world taking our minds and focus off what really needs to get done day to day? Well, Janess has a dietary supplement called Mind to help with mental distraction, and it supports memory function. Go to GC gcnlife.com now to check it out. You're only at your best when your mind is at its best. Go to gcnlife.com or call toll-free 844-443-6637. That's gcnlife.com or 844-443-6637. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Now, Kevin Randall, the one thing that concerned me, and it's related to something, of course, in our forums too, is where Calvin's talking about a second abduction, I think in 1993, where he tries to physically attack his main captor, but is prevented or stopped from doing so by this robotic creature. That sounded to me more like science fiction than something that really happened. And if he wasn't making it up, is this based on something that might have been corrupted in his memory from that 1993 hypnotic regression session from Bud Hopkins? Is that possible? Oh, it depends on what all that Calvin Parker's read about alien abduction. If you remember the V.S. Boas case from Brazil in 1957, that was one of the things that he made a big deal about is how he had fought off, tried to fight off his captors, and there were four of them, and they overwhelmed him. And I think I always thought that kind of played into the Hispanic or the uh, uh, South American idea of machismo. You know, I didn't just surrender with them easily. I, I tried to fight them off. And uh, I noticed that in a couple of other abduction cases where the, the the subject has suggested that they tried to resist as best they could, but they were overwhelmed by the by the numbers. So it's very possible that Parker and I don't I don't know this about him, how interest he was in researching, reading about the uh, other alien abductions, how deeply he got into that phenomenon. If you remember originally 
his claim was during the 1973 abduction was that he had passed out and he didn't really remember much of what had gone on. And he told me that that, that had been put out there as a way of directing attention away from him because he wasn't interested in it and Hickson was interested in it. So it kind of deflected all the questions to to Hickson. When I talked to him, he suggested, you know, he did, he was conscious and he remembered a lot more. And that's a question that that uh, I'll ask him when I get the opportunity is, did you read much about alien abductions or UFOs after this event took place? The one thing with, um, when I was talking to Mike Rogers, about the Walton abduction, he mentioned that he and, and Travis Walton had had a UFO sighting some years prior to the abduction, which I found interesting. A lot of us go out there looking for UFOs and we never see them. And some of these people seem to draw them magnetically to them. And I think part of that may be that they misidentify natural phenomenon, but but other it may be that there's some kind of an interest there. But I have noticed that Many of the abductees, well, obviously, they would be repeaters. They would see things. I think Pat Roach never had really seen UFOs, but she got interested in the abduction phenomenon after it had happened to her. And I got in touch, well, she got in touch with me. I would say I learned about her after I'd done a book, a book, a uh, magazine article about an abduction that took place in South America, which turned out to be a hoax, by the way. But she was inspired by that article to write to me at Care of the Magazine. And then I organized a trip out to uh, interview. I called Cora Lorenzen and said, you know, I need somebody who's versed in hypnosis. And and, uh, Harder came out to help with that sort of thing. But I think... Well, as I said before, part of it was harder contaminating the the witness, but part of it was she had read other accounts of abduction and decided or brought some of these things into her abduction account as well. It's very easy for the mind to incorporate things into it that they've heard and given the circumstances and the way things operate that they believe that that was something they observed or they participated in when they in fact did not. With Calvin Parker, my impression of all this is that with the original episode in 1973, we didn't have all that many UFO sightings until 73 when we started getting a lot more after kind of a lapse or at least a lapse of reported sightings, that the original case was probably pure, whatever caused it. But all bets are off after that, because obviously I think we should have probed that more, but there was so much information to get to with Calvin, we didn't go into the details that you mentioned, that how much had he read about UFO sightings and abductions well, you know, after that? You, you have to remember, you have to remember, of course, the, the big flap in 1973 started probably three or four weeks prior to the the Hickson-Parker abduction, and it carried on into November, and there was a lot of newspaper articles about it. But you have to also remember that in the late 1960s, you know, three or four years earlier, there was a great deal about UFOs in the in the media. The, the Lonnie Zamora case from 1964, for example, got national play. And, and then the regional uh, newspapers, regional news organizations, of course, played up the, the local angle as well. So there's an opportunity for him to, of course, been aware of what was going on in the world of UFOs at the time. Abduction wasn't um, talked about that much, although, what's his face's book? The Interrupted Journey about the Hill case was published in the mid-1960s. So information about the abduction phenomenon, uh, Fuller, John Fuller's book, information about the uh, abduction phenomenon was out there. 
for somebody who was interested in UFOs. So I don't know what kind of interest did he have prior to this. I did an investigation with a guy named um, Carol Wayne Watts, I think it was, in Texas in 1968. And he made quite the... uh, Local news, I don't know how widespread it was. If I knew about it in when it was happening in 1968, it probably got a lot of play because I was in helicopter flight school at the time and we didn't have a lot of opportunity to watch TV or listen to the news. But I had an opportunity to go out and interview him. I got a three-day pass and what did I do on my three-day pass? I went on a UFO investigation. I sat down with him and chatted with him about what was going on. His abduction clearly was invented, uh, especially if you read the transcript at the time and the things that he talked about make no sense in today's world. I mean, he was talking about the alien creatures having all these paper maps laying around. And I'm thinking, yeah, Google Earth didn't exist back in 1968. So you weren't aware that you could map the stuff electronically and bring it up on a screen rather than have to have a paper map laying around, which had he said something like that would have been a wonderful way of saying, you know, that was a nice prediction he made. How did he come up with that? But the point simply is, Um, I'd asked him, Watts, if he had seen any or if he read any UFO stuff. And he said, no, I didn't have anything then. And I gave him, I think it was a business card. And he went to put it in a drawer. And we'd open the drawer. I saw about three or four UFO books in there. So he clearly lied about his knowledge of UFOs. And later on, he recanted the whole story. And then he recanted the recantation by saying, well, the CIA had laid him on his way to take a lie detector test and told him if he passed it, then uh, there would be grave consequences for it. So he flunked it on purpose. But the point simply is the information is out there in the ether. And we don't know how much is picked up sort of through osmosis. And the best example I can think of this is there was a question on Jeopardy, I think it was, about what... um, the business was on King of the Hill, the, the old animated series, King of the Hill. And I knew the answer had to do with propane, but I'd never watched the show. So the point simply was, uh, I picked up through the osmosis somehow that the um, subject was propane. And, I, and you don't know how much of that might have influenced any of these witnesses as well, which would tend to contaminate the memory somewhat. We've got a lot more to talk about with Kevin D. Randall, author of many books and the different perspective blog that I urge all of you to read. With Gene and Randall and Kevin, you're in The Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but soon you'll need a plan and place to survive. Forget bunkers. You're not a live underground gopher. You need survivalist camps, the ultimate fully functional off the grid mobile survival bug out house that's well equipped and custom built to outlast any other RV or trailer. Bold statement, you bet. See them now at survivalistcamps.com. That's survivalistcamps.com. Trust your family survival to survivalistcamps.com.
Most of you know that heart disease is the number one silent killer in the U.S. What if I told you for just $54.95 a month you could fight against heart disease naturally? At Heart and Body Extract, we've been helping thousands of people get back to a healthier heart. Don't just take my word for it. Check out all of the success stories at hbextract.com. Or to order, call 866-295-5305. That's 866-295-5305. hbextract.com. Don't risk it when you can take charge of it. USA Radio News with Wendy King. At the Value Voters Summit in Washington, President Trump tied his decision to pull troops from Syria to migrants trying to enter the U.S. at the southern border. I don't think our soldiers should be there for the next 50 years guarding a border between Turkey and Syria when we can't guard our own borders at home. I don't think so. France and Germany have halted exports of arms to Turkey that could be used in its offensive against the Kurds in Syria and wants an immediate meeting of the U.S.-led coalition against the Islamic State. Turkey's actions are now facing international condemnation. Acting Homeland Security Secretary Kevin McAleenan has resigned. He said he wanted to spend more time with his family. This is USA Radio News. Hey, travelers, do you want to save money on your next flight? Then pick up the phone and call. That's right, call, because the best prices are not online. They're with SmartFares. See, SmartFares has special deals with the airlines. When they have unsold seats, they use SmartFares to fill them. So you get airline tickets at ridiculously low prices. Our prices are too low to publish online. With the extra money you'll save, you can book another trip or treat yourself to dinner or shopping. So stop searching all of those travel sites to find the lowest price on your next flight. Let one of our SmartFares expert travel agents find ridiculously low prices for you. Call SmartFares today and get the best price on your next flight. Guaranteed. Also, save up to 50% off business and first-class tickets. 800-871-3291. 800-871-3291. Again, that's 800-871-3291. Bags under the eyes, crow's feet, fine lines and wrinkles are things adults complain about as they age. Now, there's Instantly Ageless. It works in minutes and is great for men and women. Here's Dr. Sonia Bacha on The Doctors. So this is a product we're going to see if it works. It's called Instantly Ageless. And the idea is that it works very quickly. Is You just need a very small amount. And then you apply it to areas where you might be a little bit puffy. I have just looked at what's in this product. And one of them is something called argyroline, which is sort of a darling in dermatology right now. It's a peptide or a protein that actually relaxes the muscle. It's also called Botox in a bottle. The other active ingredient in this is silicates, which are almost act like a clay. They're minerals. And they're making the skin sort of tighter. It's actually increasing the surface tension on the skin to push that herniated fat pad back. Try Instantly Ageless today at GCNLife.com. That's GCNLife.com. 30-day money-back guarantee and preferred price discount at GCNLife.com. Clark, author of the UFO Encyclopedia and other books. You're listening to the Paracast. So, Kevin, in the scheme of things, of course, Calvin Parker was 19 when his abduction happened with his friend. 
that doesn't mean, as you say, he wasn't exposed earlier to UFO stories and such. But what you're pointing out here, too, is that there are probably very, very few pure abductions, maybe the hills, but very, very few pure abductions because UFO cultural information has been out there for decades, movies, TV shows, etc. How can we have a pure abduction uninfluenced by anything else and somehow find out what really happened? There was a really awful science fiction movie called Killers from Space. Uh, yes. 1954, Peter Graves as a scientist. Almost everything you see in the abduction phenomena is in that movie. From the unexplained scar on his chest to the big-eyed aliens to other aspects of the abduction phenomena. It's all laid out in this movie. How many people saw that? I remember seeing it as a kid, and it kind of creeped me out with the big eyes floating in the air, but that's something else. There was a um, 1908 science fiction film in which men from the moon, I guess, came down to Earth to abduct women for the obvious reason. So the idea of alien abduction has been out there literally for more than 100 years. And I, you know, uh, Betty Hill at one point, when Barney said something to her, uh, allegedly during the abduction phenomenon, said, have you been watching The Twilight Zone? And so, you know, that becomes a point of, well, they're aware of The Twilight Zone. And there was a Twilight Zone episode called Hocus Pocus and Frisbee, starring Andy Devine, where he's abducted by aliens. And the face of the alien, when their human masks are broken, looks a little bit about like the illustration that uh, uh, Barney Hill had drawn. Others have said the Bolero Shield from The Outer Limits was the source of the face of the aliens that Barney Hill had drawn. The point simply is the contamination is out there and there's no way to eliminate it. You have to look at the person um, himself or herself and kind of evaluate the tale told from them. Pat Roach believed she had been abducted by aliens. Was she? I don't think so. I think what happened was she had an episode of sleep paralysis. I'm not saying that all abductions are explainable by sleep paralysis. I'm saying this one specific abduction, based on my interaction with the witness, with the abductee, and my interaction with uh, Jim Harder about his investigation, as, as he did his investigation, I think the best explanation for that case is sleep paralysis. If you study sleep paralysis, you'll find that an awful lot of the elements of alien abduction are mirrored in sleep paralysis, including the belief there's an entity in the room with you. So you take a look at that, and I think that's what happened. She had an episode of sleep paralysis. She didn't understand it. There was something that we never talked about in 1973. I mean, people really didn't understand sleep paralysis in 1973. We learned a lot more since then. But the um, whole point simply is this. She had this episode of sleep paralysis. She believed there was something in the room with her. And this is the first abduction case, by the way, when anybody reported the aliens coming into the house. And I did an article in Saga magazine about it. So I might be the first reporter or the re researcher who reported the alien in the room coming into the house to abduct her. But I think she had that episode of sleep paralysis. She believed there had been an entity in the room. She saw this article in Saga magazine about alien abduction, and she put two and two together and believed she had been abducted by alien creatures. 
So there's that kind of thing you have to watch out for. You know, there are people that they say, well, the Hills weren't sleeping before they were abducted. Nobody is saying that sleep paralysis explains their abduction. I'm saying in the one case with with Pat Roach, the abduction was caused, I believe, the the belief in the abduction was caused by uh, an episode of sleep paralysis. And so, Kevin, I'd like to remind our listeners here that in addition to you being a retired USAF helicopter pilot, you also have a PhD in psychology. So your opinions here don't come from mere familiarity with ufology, but also from an academic background that goes at least as far back as 2001 here, from what I can see, when you published Invasion Washington about the Washington, D.C. case in 52. Uh, When did you first get your PhD? Well, we were working, and I say we, Bill Cohn, uh, Russ Estes, and I were working on a book called The Abduction Enigma. And we were looking at it, I guess, from a more skeptical point of view. And uh, a lot of people were very angry about that book. And I can understand why, but what we were trying to do is tell the truth. And in the course of doing that, I thought it would be beneficial to understand more about psychology. Bill Cohn, of course, was an, a practicing psychologist, but I thought it would be beneficial to understand more about psychology. So that was why I was taking the classes in psychology. So I got the PhD in 2000, I believe it was. Right. Okay. So that would have been just around the time that Invasion Washington came out. And by the way, I'm just looking at it on Amazon right now, and it's priced at $310. Really? Yeah. I got a bunch of copies, people. I'll sell them to you for 200. Uh, so that's pretty amazing. Yeah. Uh, well, I, think I, think I, I, I think it's because the book is out of print. Yeah. And so the people are thinking, well, we can make a whole bunch of money on this. We have a copy of the book, so we'll sell it for a lot of money. I was looking for another book the other day, and they wanted $55 for it. And I said, ah, I'm not that interested in it. Well, if people can order straight from you, uh, I think I'm going to have to place one because I'd like to get a hold of a copy uh, from my own library. And uh, people can also connect with you, too, on our community forums. We've got links directly to your site there, too. So when did you first become in? I just want to get some real basics down about you for people who might not be familiar with this. When did you first get involved in ufology? I always blame my mother. She took me to see a movie when I was a little kid. She was really into science fiction, and she took me to see a movie, Earth versus the Flying Saucers. And, of course, that's about alien visitation and, and that sort of thing, and that oh. sort of sparked the interest from that point. Oh, that's I was a like classic. a little kid. I was like seven or eight years old. That was but a I got- really good special effects for a flying saucer. That was done by Ray Harryhausen, the stop-motion expert. And the, you probably know this, Kevin, the real subtle point about that is they actually bought one of major donald kehoe's ufo books i think flying saucers from outer space before they made this movie i think because maybe they thought kehoe owned the rights to use the word flying saucers but maybe 30 seconds of the opening of the film about ufo sightings might have been roughly related to the book but kehoe i think was very embarrassed at what came out. But I think it among the so-called B-movie sci-fi movies, remember in the 50s, they weren't spending lots of money on sci-fi movies except for maybe Forbidden Planet. So I think of those, it was one of the better ones. Uh, the, you know, it, the, the flying saucers were crashing into all the iconic monuments in the United States. At the end, it was absolutely uh, wonderful. And I think the big budget movie in that time frame was This Island Earth. 
Oh, yes, oh, yeah. right. I, I remember that one. It's not considered these days. We think, of course, Day the Earth Stood Still, which I don't think was a huge budget, although it had some pretty major actors in it. Not to mention Robert Wise was the director, and you don't ex- you don't think of Robert Wise as a director of a science fiction film. Except but, he also I mean, did Star Trek, the motion picture. And I think he did, no, that was George Powell, sorry. Um, well, I'm just saying you don't think of him as a science fiction director, but that was a wonderful film. Uh, but the, the, the I guess the Mystery Science Theater 3000 had some fun with This Islander, so that makes it a much better film. Well, Robert Weiss, according to Tim Beckley, actually had an interest in UFOs and a belief in UFOs. And as I said, he did The Sound of Music also and Star Trek, the motion picture. What a (laughs) what a comparison position. Yeah, I had I had um, I had Paul Davids on my program a couple of weeks ago. And uh, he knows he know he knows uh, or knew uh, Robert Wise very, very well. And so he had gave some insight. Yeah, Robert Wise was very interested in, in UFOs. Let's get into more of this in our next segment. Kevin D. Randall, Gene Steinberg, J. Randall Murphy, you're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. Most of you know that heart disease is the number one silent killer in the U.S. What if I told you for just $54.95 a month you could fight against heart disease naturally? At Heart and Body Extract, we've been helping thousands of people get back to a healthier heart. Don't just take my word for it. Check out all of the success stories at hbextract.com. Or to order, call 866-295-5305. That's 866-295-5305. hbextract.com. Don't risk it when you can take charge of it. With more people listening to radio than visit Google, Facebook, or YouTube, from the very young to the very old, everyone listens to radio. Pillow companies, alarm, identity theft, nutrition, insurance, banking, automotive, the list goes on and on. Billion dollar businesses. Why? The answer is radio. The media everyone tunes into. Find out how effective and affordable radio can be for your business. Contact 877-996-4327 or advertise at GCNlive.com. Hey folks, Tom D. for ParanormalDate.com. Are you looking for love in all the wrong places? Now you have a chance to change that by signing up free at ParanormalDate.com. 
This incredible dating site puts people of like minds together. People who are interested in the strange, the unusual, ghosts, zombies, UFOs, crop circles, and more. ParanormalDate.com was developed for you, people who seek a little more than the other dating services offer. You can join for free by going to ParanormalDate.com, and if you decide you like it and you want to connect with others, use the code GEORGE for a substantial discount. So many people want to share their experiences with the paranormal, the afterlife, the unusual, and this is the place to meet and share common interests with those of like minds. So sign up for free at ParanormalDate.com. That's ParanormalDate.com. Use the code word GEORGE and start meeting others. Get going now and connect with someone you like. Hey, Bugsy, you hear the news about Vinny? Yeah, it's a real shame he owed money to the IRS and they finally cut up with him. Just like Al Capone. If the IRS can get the Capone, imagine what they can do to little old Vinny, huh? Poor cat, he was on top of the world, then bada-boom, bada-bing. What Vinny needs now is an offer he can't refuse. Hey, you got a tax problem? Does the IRS claim you owe them a bunch of dough? They can get you too. So call the tax relief line now and learn if you qualify to negotiate your $10,000 plus IRS tax debt for up to a 75% savings. Don't be like Al or Vinny and get busted. Make this free call now. Learn how you may be able to pay the IRS less. Call now. 800-590-4930. 800 590 That's 800-590-4930. Hi, this is Bryce Abel. I'm the producer of Dark Skies, the co-author of AD After Disclosure, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. Long and short of it, let's just go back to where we started, Kevin. Do you think that Charles Hickson and Calvin Parker had a real experience? I'm not saying it wasn't changed or embellished or remembered badly. Do you think something real happened to them? I believe so, yes. One of the, the keys to this is Parker and Hickson were at the police station or the sheriff's office and left alone in one of the rooms with a recorder running and they didn't realize the recorder was running. That we now know is pretty much a standard police tactic. Leave the leave them alone and see what see what they'll say, uh, talking to one another, see if they'll give away the the store. And they didn't suggest that there was anything untrue to what they were saying. They said, well, we sure got these guys going or anything like that. So I, I think there's some kind of real event that took place. Was it an alien adoption where they taken on to an alien spacecraft? Possibly. The problem is nobody ever escapes with uh, an artifact. You know, the next time you're there, steal a pen, for God's sake. Steal something. Right, that's one of Neil deGrasse Tyson's famous uh, but on methods the other, of call, you know, getting into the skeptical side of things. And, and, but he's got a point, really. But the other side of the coin is, um, and I forget who it was, and it may have been V.S. Boas, may have been one of, one of the uh, early abductees had a book. that they, or Maybe it was The Hill, somebody, maybe it was Betty Hill, I forget who it was, but it was given a book. And they were going to get off the spacecraft or be taken back to where they started. And they took it away from him or her. So they didn't have an opportunity to take the artifact with him or her. 
So uh, that's part of the problem. The other thing is, if I'm abducting people in some kind of a scientific experiment where we have self-aware beings, unlike, you know, capturing animals, I'm going to bring them into a very austere environment so that there's not a lot for them to see. There's not a lot for them to remember, and there's nothing for them to take. So you can take it, you can look at it from that point of view. It depends on how the abduction takes place and whether or not the alien creatures are very careful about the subject when he or she is on board the craft. So they may not have the opportunity to um, steal something. And let's say they did steal something and it turned out to be made of, oh, I don't know, 90% aluminum and uh, other base metals, and there was really nothing to suggest by the isotopic ratios that it wasn't created on Earth, and it's nothing that's beyond our technology to create, and then what do you do? And that's always been my great fear. We find bits of a real honest-to-God alien spacecraft. I mean, something's happened. We've got debris from it. We've got a piece of it, and we take it in for analysis, and they say, yeah, it's aluminum. Yeah, well, these days, there's no way to really know. Like, maybe back in, in the early days uh, of the you know in the golden era of ufology back in the four, late 40s early 50s if we got some incredible piece of technology way back then like like a some kind of chip with you know 5 billion transistors on it we might go okay this isn't ours but today we're actually manipulating things on the atomic level there's practically oh, yeah. nothing we can't make or figure out how to make now, really. And, and, and that's when they say, you know, well, the isotopic ratios are not anything found naturally on Earth. And we say, yeah, but we can make it. Yeah, We well, can manipulate yeah. the isotopic ratios. Exactly. So that's like the Bob White artifact, right? You know about that. Okay, the isotopic ratios aren't like anything found on Earth. Well, that's because it came off of a grinder that was used to make a whole bunch of different products. So the ratios aren't like anything that would be made or belong to any specific product. And, and, and that's kind of one of the things we, we fight through. If you've got a, an artifact, unless it d demonstrates a technology that's far superior to anything that we have. And I, I think back to um, Bill Brazel, who talked about uh, fiber optics in 1947. He said, well, there was this one thing that was like monophilic fishing line, and you shine a light in one end and it comes out the other. Well, he's clearly talking about fiber optics. So if we had a piece of fiber optics, he, he lost the debris when the military came and collected all that debris from him. But had he um, been able to save, save it and document that he picked it up in 1947, or I mean, yeah, 1947, 1948, then you've got a nice piece of, of evidence there because who was making fiber optics at that time? Dow Corning, if I recall correctly. But I mean, back then in the late 40s, I don't think people even would have known what to use it for because digital technology didn't really come along until years later. I mean, it was sort of there, the idea was there, but to be able to transmit it in light pulses, that was that that took a few decades to come together. And, and that's the problem. The other thing I've always said, and this doesn't really work in today's environment, but it worked beautifully you know, 25 years ago. If you took a VCR, a videotape, that's videotape recorder for the youngsters out there that don't know what it is, a power pack and a TV back to Merlin Magician, you show him the videotape, which is essentially a black ribbon. And if you know the secrets, you can get color pictures and sound off it. But you have to know two things that are, in, you have to understand two things that are invisible, electricity and magnetism. 
And of course, Merlin the Magician didn't understand that. He would not be able to decode that black ribbon into pictures and sound. We, of course, could do it today because we know what it is. And I've always thought that if we picked up technology at Roswell, that it would be so far advanced that even with applying our technology today, we may not have figured out exactly how it works or exactly what it is. I have suggested, and it's only a suggestion, it's the only thing I can think of, is that our study of composite materials might have been inspired or at least advanced by the components of the object because we could understand that on a much smaller level. We could understand composite materials. Bill Brazel also talked about a piece of debris, said it was light like uh, balsa wood, had the density of balsa wood, you know what it's like. But he had a pocket knife he said he used to use to cut barbed wire with, and he said he tried to get a shaving off it because he wanted to see if there was stratification in it. And that he was unable to to even make a mark on it. But if you looked at that, it may have given a clue about some kind of composite material. I don't know if that's true. That's speculation on my part. But these are the things that worry me that with what we have today in the way of evidence, much of it can be explained in the mundane. But there are cases where explaining it in the mundane stretches credulity. Uh, Level Land, for example, in 1957, you had people at, I, I believe, at least 13 separate locations reporting independently that their vehicles were stopped, their lights were dim, their radios were filled with static on close approach of this object around Level Land during um, November 2nd of 1957. They reported it to the sheriff's office or called the sheriff's office and told about it. There was no media. It was You couldn't text or post to Facebook or Instagram, my vehicle was just stopped by a flying saucer. And everybody said, oh, yeah, okay, let's go. You had to wait for the news media to kind of disseminate the information. Or be lucky enough to have like a Polaroid camera or something where you could get it on actual film. Well, yeah, and, uh, in today's environment, you'd have it on your cell phone and probably HD and wonderful but the point simply is, you know, here was a case where had it been investigated properly in 1957, Don Kehoe at Nightcap and the Air Force were arguing over the number of witnesses for crying out loud, as opposed to let's gather the testimony, let's see what people said, let's talk about this interaction with the environment where they created some kind of a field that suppressed the car engine. The Condon Committee looked at this case briefly. I think there's one mention it in their big fancy report on the scientific investigation of UFOs. They said they had they knew of no mechanism where a magnetic field could stop a car engine, and when you remove that magnetic field, the car would start spontaneously. And that got me to thinking about this, and I looked at a lot of the testimony. They don't really say the car started spontaneously. They exactly. Say, they say the this, car started. Yeah. The driver took some action. Yes. He or she started the car. There are some where they do say it started spontaneously, but in most cases, the way things are worded, it doesn't tell you that they started spontaneously. It tells you that the car engine operated properly once the magnetic field was moved. I'm so glad you brought that up because I found the same thing going back and really looking closer at the evidence. And it seems to me that this sort of the, the automatically starting by itself scenario is something that is Hollywoodized and that after the fact, I think people are picking up their experience and embellishing it with that. It was just like in that movie or something along those lines. Just like Close Encounters, I want to ask some more questions, but also go back to Roswell in another area too, which is the fact that 
we really didn't discover the case until what more than 30 years after it happened how could the memories of those involved that were interviewed over 19 late 1970s and on have been corrupted by cultural influences and may differ from what really happened how would we ever possibly know we've got kevin d randall here his blog is a different perspective we have a link to it over the Paracast forums at forum.theparacast.com, where you can discuss this episode and other things about UFOs and other subjects with Gene and Jay Randall Murphy. You're in the Paracast. You are listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Have you checked your Google search results lately? Search results are usually the first impression that people form of you or your business. So make sure that they create a positive impression with Reputation Defender. What the Internet says about you can have a big impact on your life and your livelihood, even if it's not true. Fortunately, you can now control how you look online and in online search results with Reputation Defender. Call 800-831-0771 now. That's 800-831-0771 for your free reputation analysis. If you have negative material from an ex-employee, upset patient, or former client, newspaper article, legal issue, social media, or other source showing up in your search results, you can combat it with Reputation Defender. Our dedicated experts in patented technology can help make your online search results look their best. Call 800-831-0771 to learn more. 800-831-0771. That's 800-831-0771. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. So two things, obviously, going back to what Kevin Randall was talking about. We mentioned, of course, the influence of Close Encounters of the Third Kind, where the car engine spontaneously restarts after the object leaves and maybe that's not quite what happened back to roswell let me let me just interject here i think given the time frame that movie was made that was the consensus with the car engines would start spontaneously so i don't think that's a hollywood embellishment i think it of course spread the idea much further because of the popularity of that film but i don't think i think the idea was at that time that the cars would would start spontaneously and they would look at the case file 
And the witness would say uh, the, the object was gone and the car started. You know, it suggests spontaneous, but it doesn't really say that. What's sad is that question didn't seem to be properly answered. But going back to Roswell and things like weird evidence that we talk about, you know, fiber optics, things like that. How much of that could have been corrupted by the decades before we really were able to gather significant testimony? Given the number of science fiction films, given the number of um, books about UFOs and the magazine articles and the documentaries and everything you want to point to, there's always the possibility all these things were corrupted by those influences. So you have to look at that carefully and you have to compare the testimonies of various witnesses with one another to see if there's a variance that suggests some kind of corruption. When I did Roswell in the 21st century, my idea was to look at the case as a cold case and bring in all that information again and sort through it to see if there were corroborations or there were places where things diverted terribly and suggested that there was a, a cultural influence involved in that. And I think so, some of the people, well, uh, John John Keel, we got into the big argument uh, in 1990 with John Keel over the idea that what fell at Roswell was a Japanese balloon bomb. Thoroughly discredited idea based on all the research and everything we, we learned about it. But his idea sparked this research. And one of the things he said at the time, he says, well, I suppose by the turn of the century, which would be 2000, there'll be there'll be another 100 or 200 witnesses clamoring for their 15 minutes of fame, meaning that the people would pick on this, pick up on the story and insert them into it. And we found that by by 2000, there were an awful lot of people claiming that they had some involvement in Roswell. One one guy claimed he, he was a, a, a youngster and his dad had been assigned to the base right right field at the time and he was flown into roswell and the son went with him to to help investigate the ufos i'm thinking well that's not only cockamamie it's ridiculous you, you don't take your son onto on a mission where you're going to be dealing with classified materials so the, the story was bogus but he was inserting himself into the story another guy was named trowbridge who was actually in roswell assigned to the base and claimed that um on the night that jesse marcel brought the material back from the debris field and woke up his his son to show it to him. He said that there had been a bridge party. And back, I guess, in the 1940s, bridge parties were big deals, especially around military installations, at the Marcel house. And that when Jesse Marcel came home from the debris field, he had the box of debris with him and they all went out and looked at it. So Trowbridge was claiming that he'd seen the debris and might be the last person alive. It was in his obituary, the last person alive who'd actually handled the Roswell debris. Story's completely bogus. Absolutely no evidence that Vo Marcel was holding a bridge party without her husband there. And the son said that, her, uh, Jesse Marcel Jr. said that his father woke him up to show him the debris. He thought it was like two or three o'clock in the morning. I think it was much earlier in the evening than that. I think that uh, given the age of Jesse Marcel, he was probably in bed earlier than that. But the point really is, Trowbridge didn't handle the debris. He didn't see the debris, um, but he injected himself in the story. Um, and there were a number of people like that who injected themselves in the story. And as Don and I did the research, and then the Tom Carey and Don did more research, we were able to separate out some of the nonsense from the reality of the situation based on the testimonies of a lot of other people and on the documentation available to us. So we could see who was injecting him or herself, and it's mostly him, her, himself, into the case and how it 
deviated from uh, the true narrative that we were able to establish uh, based on the limited documentation we had and that sort of thing and and how their stories kind of placed them in a position to see the debris that didn't really make a whole lot of sense given who they were. But we do know something happened. I mean, at least we know that much. And nobody really has an explanation for it yet. And that's the whole point. When I did Roswell in the 21st century, that was the conclusion I came to. I said, you can, any explanation you offer doesn't work. When you look at the totality of the evidence, the the one that the Air Force seized on and a great number of skeptics have seen, seized on was Project Mogul. And what annoys me about this, if I have a document that supports a skeptical point of view, the skeptics all accept it as absolutely authentic. It is great. Here, it proves that you're you're wrong. When I have a document that suggests Project Mogul never flew, they say, well, you've got to interpret this way. You've got to look at it. <laughs> yeah, they have their own sense of self-serving. Yeah, yeah. Project Mogul has an explanation for Roswell. And, and in Roswell in the 21st century, I devote a long appendix to this, giving all the, the nuances of it. But the point is, Dr. Albert Crary was the chief of the project in New Mexico in 1947. It was called the New York University Balloon Project. What they were doing in New Mexico was not highly classified. The ultimate purpose of Mogul was, but what they were doing in New Mexico was not classified. Crary's diary says flat out, um, no balloon flight today would, would have been flight number four, the, the culprit in this. He said no balloon flight today because of clouds. These long arrays from the, the Mogul balloon arrays uh, were considered a hazard to aerial navigation. And they were not allowed to fly them at night because a plane could fly into it and cause trouble. They weren't allowed, allowed to fly them if it was cloudy weather because they could be hidden in the clouds and a plane would fly into them. So we have Crary's drivers and no balloon flight today. Because of clouds. So we know exactly it, it, it didn't fly. They say later on, we flew a cluster of balloons with a Sonoboy. Yeah. And we know exactly what that is. And it's nothing like what was described on the Brazil Ranch. There was no, there is no Project Mogul explanation. But when you point to Crary's diary, they give you all these reasons why that diary is inaccurate. Here's the guy that's in charge of the project writing his notes that very day. Uh, we have Charles Moore, who was part of the Mogul project the New York University Bloom Project in New Mexico, making stuff up. And we can we can prove that. He said originally that they launched the balloon at dawn, which is like 5.30 in the morning. But the weather data suggested a front had come through around that same time, which is why there were the clouds, of course. And he backed the flight up, the launch to 2.30 in the morning or 3.30 in the morning, launching it in the dark so that the winds aloft data would enable him to put it closer to the Brazel Ranch. I mean, you look at his uh -huh. research and he changes it. That's actually bogus because without going to any of those particular sources, that, like the skeptic sources, this is one of the things I like to do. I don't look at the skeptic sources or the pro-ufology ones. I went and looked at the weather records myself for all of the the levels in the atmosphere from the point where they launched those balloons to where it was supposed to have crashed and none of the winds were going in that direction so unless this thing was under some kind of power well, how could it possibly any balloon the other thing is i gave the balloon winds aloft data to charles moore i had gotten them from our research into roswell and the winds aloft data only goes to twenty thousand feet he later found that uh, white sands kept winds aloft data to fifty thousand feet which was better because it would the, the balloons would be 
floating at those those uh, levels, at much higher than 20,000 feet. Yeah, but they the were supposed point, to go way up there to pick, the, pick up uh, atomic bomb. But uh, the real, the real point is, once Moore realized that the winds aloft data gathered from six o'clock in the morning, and I, I, they gathered it like every four hours, took the balloon in a different direction, he uh, changed the launch time so he could, it would better conform to to the plot. And the other thing is, he never got to the Brazel Ranch. He got it within 17 miles of the Brazel Ranch using his winds aloft data. But 17 miles away isn't on the Brazel Ranch. We have a question from Randall, of Kevin Randall, waiting in the wings. But we have a few messages to fly before us here. That's a bad pun. With Gene Randall and Kevin Randall, you're in the Paracast. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Tahibo Tea Club's original pure pow Arco Super Tea comes from the only tree in the world that fungus doesn't grow on. So it naturally has antifungal, antiviral, antibacterial, anti-infection, anti-inflammation, and anti-parasite properties. But maybe more importantly, Tahibo Tea Club's original pure pow Arco Super Tea builds corpuscles in the blood which carry oxygen to our organs and cells. Our organs and cells need oxygen to regenerate themselves. The immune system needs oxygen to develop, and cancer happens to die in oxygen. The tea is great for healthy people, and it can truly be miraculous for someone fighting a potentially life-threatening disease due to an infection, diabetes, or cancer. Tahibo Tea Club's original pure Pau Arco Super Tea is only $34.95 plus shipping. Order now at ShopSuperTea.com or call 818-984-6100. That's ShopSuperTea.com or call 818-984-6100. ShopSuperTea.com. Do the letters IRS give you anxiety? I'm Dan Pilla. I've defended people from the IRS for more than 40 years. My book, How to Get Tax Amnesty, created the tax resolution industry and is responsible for helping hundreds of thousands of people. It can help you, too. If you're a non-filer or facing IRS enforcement right now, your case is unique. You need real help, not cookie-cutter advice. My clients get my personal attention. Buy my book at danpilla.com and get a free consultation directly with me. That's danpilla.com. Let's start solving your tax problem right now. Dan Perkins here for your Songs and Stories for Soldiers, Veterans Tip of the Day. The VA recently reported that 70% of all veteran suicides are by vets who have never been to the VA. There's a saying, when a person's name is written down, where people can see it, that person will never be forgotten. Many of our veterans, past and present, feel that nobody cares about them. We will be holding the first 
Songs and Stories for Soldiers Veterans Memorial Tournament. All the proceeds will go to purchase MP3 players for veterans. I know that veterans and their families all over the country will hear this announcement and not be able to play at the golf outing, but want to help. So here's your veterans tip of the day. If you have a family member or a friend that is a veteran, for $100 you can honor them and make sure they will never be forgotten. Go to songsandstoriesforsoldiers.us and sponsor a tea or a green in their name. Keep their memory alive. This has been your Veterans Tip of the Day. Hunters, anglers, campers, and survivalists. Get back to nature. Expand your horizons with the highest quality, most versatile, unique slingshots and slingbows on the market at slingbow.com. Slingbow products are compact and models start from just $17.98. They're perfect for your bug out bag or storing in your vehicle. Give yourself and your loved ones the excitement and tradition of Slingbow. A new frontier in archery and truly modern twist on this primitive survival tool. Feel the thrill only at slingbow.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Kevin D. Randall talking about Roswell in the background. I've got a bunch of other subjects we want to get into, but Randall Murphy has a question. Well, uh, okay. So like you were saying, Kevin, then what would be the motivation for these people? I mean, you've got the PhD in psychology. Is it just because they don't want to be wrong or are they actually trying to cover something up here? Well, if you're talking about Charles Moore, he wanted to be the guy that launched the Roswell spacecraft. And that became important to him, that he was he was responsible for what fell on the ranch. It was his project that, that got it to the Basel Ranch. And he would manipulate the data and that sort of thing to get it there, get it to where he wanted it to go. Russ Estes and I were doing a documentary, I think Roswell remembered, and we were interviewing him in his house. And we had the camera set up and I asked him a question and he fiddly fumbled around and wouldn't really answer it. I asked the question again, he wouldn't do it. Russ finally answered, asked the question and he gave him an answer. Moore didn't want to give me the, the information, even though I'd been to his house a couple of times and we'd had fine discussions. It had come to the point where now I was the adversary. I wasn't searching for the truth. I had an agenda. Well, Moore had an agenda as well. Is talking about people who want to inject themselves into the uh, the Roswell story. People do that all the time. At the turn of the last century, 1900, there were 15 people traveling with carnivals claiming to be the real Jesse James. Well, you know, 14 of them had to be lying. <laughs> and the 15th was too, but, but you knew 14 of them were lying. But that was how they... Right. So I guess, you know, it's not just the believers that want to inject themselves into the story. It's anybody that wants to just get into the story. It's people who want their 15 minutes of fame. It's people who see maybe a way of making some money, although in ufology, there's not a lot of money to be made. Um, well, unless you were Santilli, I guess, because he did well, pretty well, good yeah, with but, the fake autopsy. That, really, that really wasn't ufology. That was hoax. But, it, it, you know, people want to inject themselves into i don't know how many people claim to be vietnam veterans who never were in vietnam who never served in the military in 1969 when i came back from vietnam you know everybody hated the vietnam veterans because we were just a bunch of baby killers i guess setting a policy on our own and running rampant in 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 uh 
Vietnam, which of course was the narrative. Now, of course, we're all we're all heroes, but it suddenly changed to this was something people wanted you to believe they had been involved in Vietnam. It became sort of a status symbol. I was a combat veteran in Vietnam to the point where if somebody tells me he is a Vietnam veteran, I say he because in the army, there were like 25 women who were in Vietnam as soldiers and, and they were clerks and that sort of thing. There were many, many more who were nurses in Vietnam. But for the most part, the guys claiming to be uh, combat veterans, and, and it's ridiculous. So that when somebody tells me he's been a combat veteran, my default setting now is to disbelieve him, unless he can come up with the um, the jargon uh, that that suggests he was in fact there. He knows things that you would know only if had you been there. That Hollywood gets wrong all the time, but you understand these things. You can point to the things and say that's not right. That's not how it was. Um, but and you're but, one of those people who could pick that out fairly easily, I would imagine. See, being a helicopter pilot yourself, just getting away maybe a bit from Vietnam. Or maybe Vietnam, did you know other vets, other military pilots, or have you yourself had any experience or UFO encounter or sighting yourself? Well, I know a lot of military pilots, both in the Army and the Air Force. And uh, one of the guys uh, told me about the Kinross case. This is the um, F-94 that disappeared over Lake Superior in 1954, right. 50. 354. Uh, they were watching the thing on radar. It was a scrambled mission and the blips merged Merge, and never yeah. separated. And they never found the airplane. I actually talked to a couple of pilots who were there at the time and told me about other sightings going on. And it was something that was going on at that time. And there were two schools of thought is that one of them was the, the UFO, whatever it was, took the airplane. And the other was it crashed into Lake, Lake Superior. And he told me that they had been on a flight trying to intercept an object, and he called the brake to turn into it to see what would happen, and then the object just flew off and disappeared. So, yeah, I've talked to pilots who have had UFO experiences. As a, as a military pilot, I never had a UFO experience. Uh, the, the closest we came is we chased a heli, uh, uh, Alouette, which was a French-built helicopter, uh, out of Vietnam into Cambodia, because it wasn't one of ours. And we we went after it, but we didn't we didn't uh, once we got into Cambodia, we we broke off the pursuit. How about just paranormal experiences in general? Have you had anything weird happen with your, you know, while you've been doing this? Because it seems to me that, you know, a number of researchers do have strange things happen to them. Visits from MIB, uh, you know, odd communications, anything out of the ordinary that you might ascribe to being involved with the paranormal or ufology. <laughs> I've always wondered about that myself because some of the some of the researchers talk about this stuff, and I I, I think you know people who are locally prominent in the UFO research and and do their thing locally, having those sorts of making those sorts of reports. But I haven't had anything, and my platform is much larger. I have a, a national platform to talk from, not only on my radio program, uh, but through the books and the magazine articles. So I have a much larger platform to speak from. So I, I wonder why I'm not harassed that way. And the other thing I'll point out is it did not inhibit my military career in the Air Force. I got promoted on time and that sort of thing, although they were aware of my interest in UFOs. And when I was getting my top secret clearance, my father actually happened to know the um, 
agent who was doing the background investigation on me, and they had like two or three articles I had written that were very critical of the Air Force uh, handling of the UFO phenomenon. Didn't didn't stop me from getting my my clearance. When I got into the the Army, the National Guard, before I went to Iraq and was getting my top secret clearance renewed, none of that ever came up. In fact, they were delighted with uh, talking about UFOs to me. That's really interesting, actually. And uh, oh, and because you are uh, a genuine uh, military person, you have uh, experience what it's like to actually be a military person. And so we'd like to get your perspective on a couple of things, like let's just say top secret clearance. Now we hear about these things, like there's this above top secret clearance or the president can't get access to something. And I'm kind of skeptical about that. I mean, he's commander in chief, is he not? How does this really work? I've always said, if I'm the president and I ask somebody for information, and he tells me or she tells me, I'm sorry, Mr. President, you can't have that. It's classified over your head. My next words, the next words out of my mouth are, you're fired, bring in your deputy. <laughs> All right. Yeah, this is what I figured. I, I, so. I have the power. I have the power to get anything I want. I'm the president. And if you're not going to give it to me, I'll find somebody who was. You get out of my office right now. Talking about above class secret, I think it's more of a lateral type thing. There are code words and then code words on code words. So when you say something is classified two points above top secret, I think what they're saying is, okay, you have a top secret clearance, but to get this specific information, you have to be code word cleared as well. Let's explain and, all this military jargon in the next segment. For those who weren't in the military, Gene Randall, Kevin Randall, you're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Would you like to get back that full head of hair from years past? Now, there is Reveal. Beverly Hills celebrity dermatologist Dr. Nathan Newman took nearly a decade to develop Reveal from natural botanicals to return to a full body head of hair. Reveal for men and women with a 30-day money-back guarantee at GCNlife.com or toll-free 844-443-6637. 844-443-6637. Reveal at GCNlife.com. Most of you know that heart disease is the number one silent killer in the U.S. What if I told you for just $54.95 a month you could fight against heart disease naturally? At Heart and Body Extract, we've been helping thousands of people get back to a healthier heart. Don't just take my word for it. Check out all of the success stories at hbextract.com. Or to order, call 866-295-5305. That's 866-295-5305. hbextract.com. Don't risk it when you can take charge of it. USA Radio News with Wendy King. As congressional investigators, we're listening to a former ambassador explain how the president and his attorney came to remove her from Ukraine. The president held a political rally in Louisiana. You are going to fire your Democrat governor who's done a lousy job. President Trump led a campaign rally against Louisiana's Democratic governor. But the impeachment inquiry in Washington remained his main focus. All of our nation's gains are put at risk by a rage-filled Democrat party that has gone completely insane. 
Chief Democratic investigators announced more depositions of diplomats involved with Ukraine after spending hours with ex-Ukraine Ambassador Marie Yovanovitch, who testified despite administration efforts to prevent that. This is USA Radio News. If you owe $10,000 or more to the IRS and you cannot afford to make payments to the IRS, you may qualify for the CNC tax program. This is a new program, and if you qualify, you won't make any payments to the IRS while in this program. Once you're accepted into this program, the IRS is forced to stop all harassing collection activities. No threatening phone calls, no wage garnishments, no bank levies, and no more monthly payments to the IRS. Get ready to write this number down. It's the most important number you'll ever need to end your IRS tax nightmare. Call Paramount Tax Relief at 800-547-4804 for a free confidential consultation to find out if you qualify for the CNC tax program. Once you are accepted into the CNC tax program, you won't make any payments to the IRS while in this program. Call Paramount Tax Relief now at 800-547-4804. That's 800-547-4804. Again, 800-547-4804. Would you like to get back that full head of hair from years past? Introducing Reveal from GCNLife.com. Beverly Hills dermatologist Dr. Nathan Newman invented Reveal, which contains polypeptides with natural botanicals and no parabens, sulfates, silicones, or dyes for a salon-quality hair growth product. Reveal. Here's Dr. Newman. I have treated a lot of patients who lose their hair and they lose their confidence. We've created a unique set of polypeptides, which we call HPT6. The HPT6 contains the polypeptides from six different plants. The scalp infusion treatment should be used on wet or dry scalp. The Reveal hair care system is designed to be used for men and women alike. Get Reveal at GCNLife.com with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So try Reveal today at GCNLife.com or 844-443-6637. Plus a discount up to 25% off for Reveal at GCNLife.com or 844-443-6637. So Kevin D. Randall is defining here what top secret means with two levels above top secret means. Is that like a subcategory then? Not really a subcategory. You're doing a specific mission or you have a specific program that's classified top secret. But it has a code word attached to it. And the code word can be anything. Code word could be uh, well, majestic. Uh, yeah. Well, it <laughs> I could shouldn't be, do that. Actually. I, I, I shouldn't do that. <laughs> You're but, baiting us. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but there's a big book of, book of code words so that you don't right. mix up code words and things like that. And you select it from that. So you, you pick a code word that, that, uh, that goes with the top secret. So to get to the information, you have your top secret clearance. But if you aren't code word cleared, if you aren't cleared for that specific project, you can't get the information. Then it can be further defined by a second code word as well, or eyes only, for example. It's code, code word eyes only. So it, it's, it's, it restricts the number of people who have access to the, that specific information. So that it becomes, uh, if it's highly critical information, it can be buried underneath all these code words and restrictions to keep people from getting it getting at it easily. Once you have a top secret, it doesn't mean you can see everything that's top secret. You have to have what's called a need to know as well. So if I waltz into a um, 
headquarters and I say, I need information. I want information about some project. And they say, what's your need to know? And I say, well, I'm just interested in it. And they're saying, yeah, uh, we'll see you later, sir. And, and that kind of breaks down the Robert Dean story about having seen the uh, assessment that he was in a NATO and he was having trouble staying awake, awake during a his shift, a late night shift, the, the overnight shift. And a lieutenant or colonel, Air Force colonel took something out of the vault, threw it on his desk and said, uh, here, this will keep you awake. And it was the assessment. And I'm thinking, I cannot perceive of any circumstance where any officer would pull a top secret document out of the vault and give it to somebody as a way of keeping them awake. His story just didn't make sense to me. Um, there's other ways to keep him awake. Well, Sergeant, why don't you stand up and run in place for an hour and see if that'll keep you awake? Uh, you, 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 look, you have to look at all of that stuff. You know, Dean had no need to know about the assessment is the whole point of that. Uh, he didn't have to know what was in it. So you have those levels of classification. When you get down to secret, I think almost every officer in the military has a secret clearance because it's no big deal. And many, many, many top top NCOs have secret clearances and many, many top NCOs have top secret clearances because they need them for their jobs. When we deployed to Iraq and I was I was in charge of the intelligence operation, I had two, two NCOs working for me that both had top secret clearances as well because of the nature of the information we would be dealing with. I didn't see any top secret stuff in Iraq, but had I had the necessity to see something i was cleared i was had the clearances to go see it interesting yeah okay so there i was just i'm just taking a look at some of my uh, notes here and i'm saying yeah okay so they had something back in the 50s called the umbra code which was to inform the readers of certain report that it was an original source for intelligence then they had another one called moray and spoke so there are all these other categories that you talk mm-hmm about there was actually a a, a majestic right top secret majestic it had to do with logistics and i and i actually posted the documents on my blog so people could see what it was about but i cannot conceive of a situation in where they would have two project top, top secret projects at the same time called majestic at the same because time you get some guy shows up and his order says he's cleared for majestic and they're talking about the logistics and he looks he's now suddenly seeing alien creatures and so that's another argument against the majestic twelve, by the way just so you know and yeah, with okay. regard to documents ahead, and that occurred to me because i was reading that blog entry about a movie about somebody or a couple of movies about somebody faking documents oh and, yes 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 okay so since we got into field. the need to know and top secret clearances and such maybe we can cover this briefly what point you're trying to make there for our listeners you mean copying the documents or or faking them well what she was copying what in, in the movie what she was copying were um letters and documents held in libraries in their special collections and she would go in and, and copy them um, she had a lot of typewriters and various papers and everything. So she she would she would go in and make notes of it, and then she would go back home and create the document, and then substitute the fake for the real thing, so she could sell the real thing and make money. In in the military, well, the other thing is I you know, I should point out I've destroyed destroyed an awful lot of classified material, and that's part of the thing you do when the a document is of no longer use to you, uh, or it is expired. 
a lot of times it's destroyed. There's nothing wrong with that. You have to log it being destroyed. Secret and above had to be logged specifically classified. You can just do it kind of an generic, generic thing. But there was documentation that would suggest that uh, it had been destroyed. And I always wondered on the um, estimate of the situation that we always talk about in the in, in, in ufology. And they say, well, the document was declassified and then destroyed. And I said, well, that just doesn't make any sense to me. And then it did make sense to me. Yeah, because once yeah. it's declassified, they don't have to log its destruction. There's no longer the paper trail. So they say to the guy, this is declassified, go destroy it. So they burn it. They don't it's have gone. to log it being destroyed. And and I think Rupelt was believable. Like uh, there's a lot of authors, you know, I'm not sure I believe Corso, but Rupelt. Well, Corso, you can't believe. I, Rupelt, I think you can believe pretty much yes. everything the guy says. He just comes across as being way too knowledgeable and was really a person who was there. And he says he held a copy of it in his own hands. Yes. So I Dewey, I, Dewey Fournay talked about it as well. So there, there are people who saw it and held the document. But my point simply is this. If it's a classified document, it's classified top secret, it goes up to the chain of command and, and Vandenberg says, I don't like the conclusions. What the conclusion was, it, the, the, some of the UFOs were alien spacecraft or extra inter, interplanetary spacecraft. If you destroy that document, depending on the title of it, you've got to log that title, especially in top secret. You've got to log the title. You've got to log something about the contents. If you declassify it first, then there is no regulation requiring you to log anything. You can just go out and burn it. And I think okay. that's what they did. They would this know is, how many documents, they, they, they knew how many copies of the document there were. This sort of brings up that many. This, this makes a nice segue into, we've got some questions in our question bank that we have to remember to get to before we lose you. Because, you know, when we get talking with you, Kevin, the time goes by so quickly because you're so knowledgeable and interesting to listen to. Um, when we get into this whole uh, advanced aerospace threat identification program thing, and you you think to our think back to our other guests like John Alexander who says well I went walking through all the halls of the establishment and found nothing to suggest that any program was going on how does this happen you've got to think that there are people up there someplace where all of this information is collected and collated and sorted out for different people where does it all go does it just dis you know just into file boxes somewhere and people forget about it or what happens to it it depends on exactly what it is and what you have. As I said, you know, once the information expires, once it is no longer important, it's destroyed. Well, let's talk about stuff like these bricks that came out of the out of the uh, radars and uh, the tracking systems that they're that the operators talk about were taken off the ships after the the uh, Nimitz incident. Where does that stuff go? It. it Depends on the classification and depends where they want to store it. There are facilities around the United States where these sorts of highly classified things would be destroyed, would be stored. And I, there would be a limited number of people who would have access to those facilities. And that access would be restricted even further by what they wanted to look for. So if you've got the Nimitz material in a vault somewhere and some guy shows up and wants something else that's stored in that same vault uh you have a clerk who will take that material out and bring it bring it to the man who wants it or the woman who wants it or the woman who needs it or whatever 
but the other stuff remains hidden away. Let's go into more detail how this works in our next segment. Kevin D. Randall, Gene Steinberg, J. Randall Murphy. You're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. Hunters, anglers, campers, and survivalists, get back to nature. Expand your horizons with the highest quality, most versatile, unique slingshots and slingbows on the market at slingbow.com. Slingbow products are compact and models start from just $17.98. They're perfect for your bug out bag or storing in your vehicle. Give yourself and your loved ones the excitement and tradition of Slingbow, a new frontier in archery and truly modern twist on this primitive survival tool. Feel the thrill only at slingbow.com. Anytime, any place, anywhere, radio remains the most intimate of all forms of media. At home, at work, in the car, on smartphones. Over 90% of consumers still listen to radio every week. That makes choosing radio as a place to advertise your business one of the best decisions you can make. Email advertise at GCNlive.com and partner up with an experienced GCN representative. Advertise at GCNlive.com. Easy, affordable, effective. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of my pillow. And like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat. I would flip-flop all night long. I would wake up with a sore neck, maybe a headache, or feel like I needed a nap even though I slept eight hours. When I invented my pillow, I wanted it to where you could move the patented fill to give you the exact support you need as an individual, regardless of sleep position. My pillow will get you into that deep REM sleep faster and you will stay there longer. It's not about how much time we spend in bed, it's about how much of that quality sleep we get. I do all of my own manufacturing right here in the United States. I have a 10-year warranty. You can wash and dry my pillow, and I give you a 60-day money-back guarantee so you have nothing to lose. And here's my best offer ever. You can buy one of my pillows and get one absolutely free. Go to MyPillow.com or call 800-870-0305 and use promo code GCN. That's MyPillow.com or 800-870-0305 with promo code GCN. Have you checked your Google search results lately? Search results are usually the first impression that people form of you or your business. So make sure that they create a positive impression with Reputation Defender. What the Internet says about you can have a big impact on your life and your livelihood, even if it's not true. Fortunately, you can now control how you look online and in online search results with Reputation Defender. Call 800-831-0771 now. That's 800-831-0771. 
for your free reputation analysis. If you have negative material from an ex-employee, upset patient, or former client, newspaper, article, legal issue, social media, or other source showing up in your search results, you can combat it with Reputation Defender. Our dedicated experts in patented technology can help make your online search results look their best. Call 800-831-0771 to learn more. 800-831-0771. That's 800-831-0771. Hi, this is Joshua P. Warren, author of The Poor Man's Paranormal, and you're listening to The Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. So, Kevin D. Randall is explaining how this data, these documents are filed. It depends on the branch of service where it's filed, too. The Navy would have their own facilities for storing the highly classified material. The Army would have their own. The Air Force would have their own. And the Marines would have their own. And the material that is really, really critical, really sensitive, would be stored in a specific location inside a vault. And you might not even get it, be able to get into the building, let alone get near the vault see the stuff and the re- the access would be extremely restricted for this highly classified stuff when you move down the tree to less highly restricted materials then it's easier to gain access for it i know that when i was a uh, intelligence officer in the air force we never got anything higher than, classified higher than secret and we had a big four drawer file cabinet with a combination lock on on it. I think it weighed like 700 pounds. So you couldn't just drag it out of the building. And of course it was, uh, we had a locked door on the outer office and a locked door on the inner office where the safe was. The um, uh, air refueling wing that was co-located with us in a different different building, they they got top secret material and they had a vault that they uh, kept that material in, but it wasn't that large. And the, the material they would be getting that was top secret would be operational orders and things like that, that they, w- they would need to operate. Okay, so this leads directly into this question in our question bank from Farley Goldstein. And he says, hello, Kevin, I wonder if you have any thoughts or comments on SAP, special access programs or black budget programs, especially since Richard Dolan has been reporting on what he considers the UFO leak of the century, which is concerned with 15 pages of notes taken by Dr. Eric Davis following his 2002 meeting with retired Vice Admiral Thomas R. Wilson, Director of the Defense Intelligence Agency in July of 1999 or between 1999 and July 2002, concerning Wilson's failed attempt to gain access to deeply secret and most privatized black budget programs to reverse engineer alien technology. So he's asking about this. He says, any thoughts on how far the military space program goes? And do you think there have been any non-NASA military astronauts, for example? Oh, I, I about non-military, non-NASA military astronauts i really don't know and i will say that with complete and total confidence i do not know i think there's uh, some civilian scientists that have gone up in the space shuttle and stuff like that yes right? well i'm i'm thinking talking about them going up in uh, secrecy yeah I think, like i'm like say maybe yeah from like a private corporation you know how so they all have these black budget programs tendered out to private corporations do you think 
anybody like you know like Bigelow has gone up or something like that. I don't I don't I don't think they're the, that that point yet. I know there's some discussion about that, and they're getting really worried about. I think it's a Branson uh, getting something into orbit. But I bet that really is a whole different question. It really doesn't, I, I think, affect discussion of UFOs. You know, of course, Wilson disputes the notes. He says that it's not true. And I have tried to talk to the guy who took the notes, whose name escapes me at the moment. And he is not answering my emails, and he's not answering a lot of other people's emails about this. And some of the things he said, and the one that the one that tripped me up was, I think he talked about the Kingman UFO crash. I think it was Kingman. I'd have to, I, I haven't looked at this stuff in months, but he talked about a UFO crash that we know was a hoax. Maybe it was no, it was Del Rio. It was Del Rio. He was on coast to coast, and he mentioned Del Rio as being legitimate. And that's the one. That's the one that tripped me up. Because I'd done a lot of research in the Del Rio UFO crash, which appears in the MJ-12 papers, by the way, which proves it's a hoax. The source of that is a guy named Robert Willingham, who claimed to be an Air Force retired Air Force colonel and a fighter pilot. Turns out that Willingham served for 13 months as a low-ranking enlisted man, never was a military pilot, was a lieutenant colonel in the Civil Air Patrol. And for those of you who don't know, the Civil Air Patrol is an official auxiliary of the United States Air Force. It's not like the Air Force Reserve or the Air Guard. It's a civilian organization. They wear uh, military uniforms and go by military ranks. But they're instead of having U.S. on their collars, it says CAP. And they wear a little metal badge that says, you know, Civil Air Patrol, official auxiliary of the United States Air Force. Willingham was in that organization. His notorious story about Del Rio is completely and totally bogus. And when this guy started talking about Del Rio being true, I knew that he didn't know what he was talking about. Now that you raise the point of maybe exaggerating one's credentials, we have the case of Luis Elizondo. Yeah, we better get into that for sure. And this one, I really don't have the information I need. I talked to Alessandro Rojas about this when we were in Roswell this summer. And he told me, Alexandro told me, that he had seen some documents that suggested that Alonzo was who he said he was involved in this program. I've talked to other people. I know John John Greenwald has done a lot of research into this. They suggest he was kind of inflating his importance in the project. And that although his name appeared on a distribution list, which really means nothing at all and verifying his credentials, other than he had some kind of a function in there, the things that bothered me is they don't really ever come out and say things like he served as and, you know, I would say, well, I served as an intelligence officer in Iraq. I was a captain at the time. If you go to my military records, uh, you you write to St. Louis to get my military records. And I did it to see what was on it, see what I would get from it. Uh, you'll see that, you know, I, I was in Iraq. I was in Vietnam. The things that I've said about my military career are all verifiable. You go to the 187th AHC, which is 187th Assault Helicopter Company. You go to their unit roster you can find my name on on the roster and a picture of me in 1969 or actually 1968 i think it was but the point simply is we get the idea that that alessandro was a military person service member he had an intelligence function and rank is important 
But if he was a top NCO, for example, a, a, a sergeant, a command sergeant major, that's much better than being a um, sergeant first class or a staff sergeant. If he was uh, a field grade officer, major, lieutenant colonel, colonel, or above, that's much more important than being a second lieutenant or something assigned to that. And we don't have that information. We haven't been able to get that kind of information about who he was. Take him out of the equation and look at the um, material, the tic-tac material and all of that. That becomes important. And the, the military personnel talking about that becomes important because you know who these people are. They have gone on record saying, this is what I did. This is what I saw. That becomes important. So Elizondo's role in this as kind of the leader of the investigation on the TV program, if nothing else, um, is kind of irrelevant. What's important is what the people who were there um, and who we can identify uh, say and what the documentation they present is and what the videotapes show. That's all very important material. We need a lot more information, but that's very important material to look at. And that was uh, basically, that was going to be the question by Elendil in our forum as well. Pretty much co you covered almost everything he was asking there. And I have to agree with you that when you see someone like the pilot David Fravor, and I'm sure you've seen his interviews. Yes. He seems very believable and very credible. It's, it's hard to imagine that he's just making that up. I do not see any reason for him to be making that up. He might have misperceived something, but he truly believes what he's saying there. And I think was it Kevin Day, who was a radar operator, talked about the, the uh, radar uh, returns and that sort of thing. Very credible. Uh, we need more information. Uh, I, you know, I can, I can point to any number of places where pilots have misperceived stuff and truly believe they were looking at alien spacecraft when we have a mundane explanation for it now in today's world. And, 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 and clearly that may happen at some point, but right now what we have is unknown. And the Navy verifies the unknown, says we don't know what it is, it's unidentified. And I, this, is, this is kind of interesting because when the Air Force was investigating UFOs under Project Blue Book, they turn backflips to come up with any kind of explanation for a sighting, no matter how ridiculous the explanation was. They abhorred the, uh, the idea of an unidentified sighting. We get to the Navy and they're saying this sighting is unidentified. We don't know exactly what they saw. That's an important thing. We don't have all the information as the civilians out here to, that the Navy has access to. And I am absolutely sure that if there was a mundane explanation for it, we would know what it is. The fact they're saying it's unidentified makes it um, much more important. We've got more to come with Kevin Randall, Gene Steinberg, Jay Randall Murphy. You're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. We also have swag. You know, we have all these exclusive Paracast things that you can buy. We've got like, I guess, 60 or so different items. And entails t-shirts, sleeves for notebook computers, iPad cases, mouse pads, the Paracast jumbo tote bag, all sorts of t-shirts and jackets and stuff like that for men and women. We have a Paracast aluminum water bottle. All this stuff, you go to store.theparacast.com, store.theparacast.com, 
What makes it special is that the items are the best quality, you know, great T-shirts, fabrics, and they have our official logo on them. That's what makes them special in multiple sizes and colors. We even have stuff for children, stuff for women, stuff for men. We have all sorts of sizes, like small up to X large. A lot of good stuff. That's the swag from the Paracast. You go to store.theparacast.com, stop by, and take a shopping tour. Message and data rates may apply. Individual results may vary. Exclusions apply. But hey, I'm buying a huge flat screen TV so I can finally see it without my glasses. Why not just get LASIK at the LASIK Vision Institute? That's what I'm doing. Uh, My glasses and contacts are a pain. I'd love to finally get rid of these, but who can afford LASIK? You can. Because the LASIK Vision Institute is offering dramatically low prices and an absolutely free consultation. Just text 211 to 350350. The LASIK Vision Institute has already performed over a million procedures. They use the latest FDA-approved LASIK technology that helps the majority of patients achieve 20-20 vision for a fraction of what others charge. Better vision, better value. The LASIK Vision Institute. Make this the year you finally get LASIK. For a free consultation plus an extra 20% discount, text 211 to 350350. You'll see for free if LASIK is right for you. That's D O 11 to 350350. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Now, when I first heard about this Pentagon UFO study, Kevin Randall, what bothered me is that it came out as if it lived in suspension with no reference to previous UFO investigations, such, of course, as Project Blue Book. It's like none of that stuff ever existed. Suddenly, now, they're trying to do an investigation. I I, think they were looking at, at it from a point of view as it affected their... Military operations, I guess is the best way to put it, and suggested a threat to the sovereignty of the United States, uh, penetration of our borders illegally. And they were looking at it from that point of view, not really as alien spacecraft or something like this. What is this phenomenon that seems to be operating outside uh, the laws of the United States and outside the international laws as well? I think it that kind of started it. But we know that Bigelow is involved in it as well. And Bigelow, I think, was trying to look at it as a way of determining the propulsion systems of the UFOs, because they're certainly operating, perceived to be operating outside the laws of physics as we understand them. And if we can deduce how they're doing that, then we take we can take a larger step into space. And that's one, you know, one thing Bigelow is wanting to do is uh, create a civilian space force, for the lack of a better term, space organization like an airline. You know, want to go to Mars? Yeah, we got a we got rocket. We can send you to Mars. And I'm thinking, yeah, not until we get some better uh, climate there. We need we need global warming on Mars. You can always do what they did in Total Recall, the original Schwarzenegger version, where they have this encased city where it had its own built-in atmosphere, so it was separated. I thought it was interesting, except they didn't account for the difference in gravity. I mean, the yeah, atmosphere, I, the, I understood. Like, that part I didn't get, because I was thinking of I, John Carter of Mars, where he was leaping into the air when he came to Mars. 
Well, I'm not, I'm not sure you'd be able to leap in the leap in the air on Mars either. But they also don't account for the sunshine. The sun would be much dimmer on Mars, which they never seem to talk about in the science fiction films. It's always bright sunlight. You know, when we go back briefly to the before I ask you about where this might go, back briefly to the classification. If a president of the United States trying to keep a campaign promise for once, and we know a couple who made that promise wants to get to the bottom of what the government knows about UFOs. Do they even give him the clearance, even though theoretically he can declassify anything? Well, he doesn't, doesn't necessarily need to declassify it, but the president should be able to get to the information. If he, he goes to the proper organization, and he should be able to get that information so he can go there. And if he is now saying that well, he says, well, they didn't brief me on Roswell. I think that's what Bill Clinton said. Well, Roswell happened, they didn't tell me. Um, doesn't mean that, it, that that's, that's the truth and the whole truth and nothing but the truth. It may be that the information is still considered so critical that we cannot release it into the public arena. I don't know what that secret would be. Uh, I think in today's world, I mean, we've spent... 50, 60 years talking about space flight and interstellar travel and alien visitation and all these sorts of things. So if the public was suddenly presented with the idea that there's life on other planets, intelligent life on other planets and they can get here, it would not be the problem that we would have run to, into in 1939 when we said there's life on other planets, that kind of thing. We've become more sophisticated. Yeah, but our- I also think here... If we know something really, really significant about all this, certainly other countries do as well. So why wouldn't Putin or the the leader of China, any of these other leaders, especially authoritarian ones where there is no freedom, they can do anything they want. Why wouldn't they want to get a leg up on us if they know something? It may be that they they, they feel that by revealing that information to us that they lose their... um, the benefit of that and besides china right now is so busy um, pounding on the mba for nonsensical reasons that um, we can see that they're not interested in ufos that was a political comment by the way i just wanted to insert there um it may be let, let us say there's been a ufo crash at roswell but there hasn't been a crash anywhere else in the world we have the information they don't. So they can't release that information because they simply don't know it. They can speculate and they can say things, but they don't know what the truth is. Well, this uh, brings up a, another really interesting point, too, and a, and a logical one, because assuming that the military agencies of the world do know more than we do, they're using the most sophisticated equipment available to anyone on the planet. And so just the fact that they know about it reveals something about the kind of equipment that they must have. And so you can't necessarily say, okay, we detected this object doing this at that time, because it says a lot about your detection capability. And so I can see how even if they did know, which they must know, given the kind of equipment that they have a lot more about it than we do, they're not going to tell us a lot about that because it will give away stuff that is classified in a sort of by inference, if you know what I mean. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I I think that you you have to look at it. I think um, what the C-SETI site has a list of like 310, 320 UFO crashes. 
this is preposterous. If, if they were raining out of the sky at that rate, we would know everything about it because there would be no way to hide that. If there is a handful, you've got another, you've got a possibility of some of that leaking into the public arena in a way that would be disadvantageous to everybody. If you've got a single event like Roswell, if that's a single event, then you have in your possession the ability to reverse engineer this and take it to the next level. You do not want your competitors to know about that. If there's been a crash in China, they would want not want us to know that they have access to that information as well. So the, the, the point is you want to keep that secret until it becomes necessary to use it. Um, you, know, you wanted to keep the atomic bomb secret until it was developed, the idea of it, and, and, and until it was developed and uh, we knew that it would work and we could end the Second World War with it. You know, a secret weapon is only secret until you use it. Well, this yeah. and this brings up a really another really good point too. Now, one of the things, and I, I don't know, I'm just going to float this here and, and see what you think of it. Uh, I'm thinking that with today's technology, we can't really tell what is necessarily real or not real when it comes to seeing almost anything. We've got holographic technology now that can, like I, I've said on the show before, make Michael Jackson look like he's singing on stage with Frank Sinatra, and you don't know it's not him. There's ways to spoof radar. And we, what we have is a training exercise with the Nimitz. How do we know that this wasn't something that is classified, some sort of countermeasures test? That they want to see how it goes. Like back when they were doing the skyhook balloon, they told us that they told people it was unidentified too. But some people knew what it really was. Maybe this really is some kind of high-tech countermeasures test that they don't want the enemy to know about. So they just say it's unidentified. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the other thing that surprises me is the SR-71, and we still really don't know what that aircraft could do, is 1950s technology. Uh, where are we today in the stuff that they're developing uh, um, that we don't know about and the capabilities of those sorts of things? Uh, the, the thing that always cracked me up is the SR-71. I think they were saying if the Soviets approached it from the tail and fired missiles at it, the SR-71 had the capability, the speed to outrun the missiles. I mean, it was an incredible aircraft. It was developed in the 1950s. What is on the drawing board today? What is operational today that we have no clue about that uh, would be would look almost like an alien spacecraft to us? I've seen I've seen um, footage of the um, F-117, the stealth fighter. And as it's coming in from to land at certain angles, it looks for all the world like a dome disc with a tricycle landing gear. You know, that sounds like fun, a tricycle landing gear. I just like that phrase. We got more to come with Kevin D. Randall, Gene Randall. You're in the Paracast. Attack of the Rockoids has been well received by critics and readers alike. It's a thrill a minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. 
It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Hey everyone, Proactive MD has an incredible offer for our radio listeners only. Stay tuned for our exclusive offer that includes a free charcoal pore cleansing brush and free shipping. Proactive MD with prescription strength adapalene can heal and prevent future breakouts. Today, for just $19.95, we're offering listeners the three-piece Proactive MD system with free shipping, plus a free gift, the new charcoal pore cleansing brush. Get this exclusive offer by calling now, 1-800-583-8662, or go to Proactive.com and enter promo code radio. You heard right. Proactive MD plus free shipping and a free gift. The new charcoal pore cleansing brush. You'll get all this for just $19.95 and their 60-day money-back guarantee. You're guaranteed to get clear and stay clear or you get your money back. Call now. 1-800-583-8662. That's 1-800-583-8662. Or go to proactive.com and enter promo code radio. Again, go to proactive.com and enter promo code radio. Both my legs were amputated due to an IED. It's when you start to try to get back into like an everyday life. I absolutely felt like I lost some of my purpose. There must be something more. When DAV came into my life, they gave me a new mission. I could still be a productive member of society, could still support a family. The DAV gave him that sense of structure and purpose again to get his life back together. Visit DAV.org to learn more about our mission. Extend your life with Extendovite. Extendovite really works. Just listen to what Wayne has to say. Extendovite. I have uh, been taking it for about two years, and I had uh, really bad heart palpitations. And since I've been taking it, I don't have any major episodes at all anymore. I'm 76 years old, and I still play competitive basketball. Of course, I've taken care of myself really good since I was 60, but... um, Extendivite really helped the blood pressure, really helped the, I used to get really bad episodes of heart palpitations, just skipping beats and double beats. But also I wanted to tell you that I really appreciate your broadcast, that just uh, really refreshing. To order, call 1-877-928-8822. That's 1-877-928-8822 or visit heartdrop.com. Extend your life with Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. I started fighting the IRS over 40 years ago when they tried to seize my mother's house. I sued the IRS and won. I beat the IRS then, and I've been beating them ever since. I wrote the book on tax debt settlement, and I've helped thousands of people deal with tax problems they thought might never be solved. I can help you too. If you owe taxes you can't pay, don't wait another day. There's no such thing as a hopeless tax case. Call 800-34-NO-TAX or go to my website, danpilla.com. That's danpilla.com, danpilla.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. So would we think today maybe some of the UFOs we're seeing may also be secret test aircraft? Absolutely. 
I mean, people are misidentifying normal aircraft in today's world. I was um, outside my house one day, one evening, and saw a cluster of lights overhead. And it gave me the impression of a dome disc. I mean, just the way it was configured, it looked like a dome disc. Then I heard the jet roar of the engines and it turned and I realized what it was. But from that angle for five seconds, it looked for all the world like a dome disc. There was no sound to it until it turned and I heard the engines. So you can misperceive these things very, very easily. And that doesn't even account for space shots where they're doing, boy, it was a beryllium test in the atmosphere that created all kinds of bizarre lights. And uh, the barium tests, yeah. And there are meteors that are uh, bolides that are extremely bright. And as they break up, it looks for all the world like a lighted cockpit and a, a row of uh, lighted windows. Uh, and if you just catch a glimpse of this, uh, you, know, you get the perception that that's what's what's happening. You, you're seeing an aircraft. So, yeah, that distinctly possible that many UFO sightings are explainable by advanced technology aircraft. Although I, I know the CIA and is claimed that the when they were testing the U-2, they were using the UFOs to hide those tests. And I think that, you know, that's just a bogus explanation. Well, the SR-71 as well. And actually, there are declassified documents that essentially match up and prove that what we're talking about there for a lot of the UFOs, when they say UFO, they were unidentified flying objects, but they came from UFO reports that were from radar tracks. There weren't people who actually saw them. So they weren't visual observation. I can totally believe that that could be the case with maybe both of those aircraft. I saw, uh, I swear, it looked like, and I've seen a lot of airplanes. I've, used, I've watched them since I was a kid. I used to ride my bicycle out to the airport. I saw a B-2 come flying in over Calgary, low, right over our city center. Amazing aircraft. And that thing, Head on looks just like a UFO. It's all domed looking and it's got the, the wings that set out. You know, it, it was really bizarre. It was really cool. And, and it was question, low enough. I could see the people in it. It was really weird. Well, the question I always have when somebody tells me a story like this, did you, did you wave? I wanted to, but, you know, I could have waved at these guys because, uh, hey, you know, hey guys, how's it going? <laughs> you know, and it was almost silent. Like you could barely hear it. It was very, very quiet. Yes, and it's got suppressors, the way the engines are configured it, to reduce its infrared signature. And of course, the way the surfaces are and the composite uh, materials reduce the radar signature. So it's what they would call stealthy. It was obviously on a, a civilian mission of, or something. I don't know what, because it had really, really bright approach lights on. And that's how I first noticed it. it they were much brighter than the usual ones I would see and and in a slightly different configuration. I thought that's just not normal. It's a different kind of something. And I watched the thing from just being the point of lights off in the distance until it flew pretty much right past me over the buildings and uh, amazing aircraft. There was a story of a woman who was filming UFOs almost on a nightly basis until the investigator went out there and realized she was filming the landing lights of airplanes and didn't realize it because the airport was far away and she, the, the lights are bright enough that she couldn't see the aircraft or anything beside it, but she was getting these these films of uh, flying saucers. And it turned out it was aircraft landing lights. But okay, so I think we've proved the point. We're skeptical. We know that there's all kinds of misinterpretations, misperceptions, uh, mistakes, fabrications, and so on. But do you believe that Earth 
is being visited by aliens from someplace, whether it's another star system or another universe. Do you actually believe that this is really going on? The problem I have is we don't have the proof positive. You know, we don't have the spacecraft. We don't have the bodies. We don't have anything that proves it beyond a shadow of a doubt. But there are some cases that are so intriguing, so mystifying, that we have no other explanation for. The only, the only conclusion you can draw is it's some kind of alien visitation. For the most part, I'm very skeptical of sightings, but there are some that are just incredibly detailed, incredibly persuasive that suggest there's alien visitation. So that's my sort of um, yeah. That's the question. <laughs> it's a nice dodge in a way. Well, you know, I want right? to believe. I want to believe there's an alien visitation. I think there's alien visitation, but there's not the proof positive that we can say yeah. You know, if you'd asked me this question 25 years ago after I, we had spent six years investigating the Roswell case, I said, absolutely, we have the proof. In today's world, knowing what we know about the witnesses, knowing what we know about the Roswell case, and, and I point this out in, in Roswell in the 21st century, here's the evidence we have that hasn't been corrupted. Glenn Dennis tells a wonderful story about his nurse and the bodies. Bogus, completely bogus. Frank Kaufman told wonderful stories about how he was involved in the retrieval operation, had documentation, completely bogus. You know, and you look at all of that stuff and you say, geez, you know, that just really harms the overall perception. But then there's this core of things like Edwin Easley, who told me, you know, he, I, I was talking to him on the telephone and I said to him, are we following the right path? And he said, what do you mean? I said, we think it's extraterrestrial. And he said, well, let me put it this way. It's not the wrong path. I have great confidence in Edwin Easley. I'm probably the only one who ever spoke to him. But Edwin Easley was a provost marshal at uh, Roswell, for those of you who didn't know. And that's like the top cop. He's the chief of security at Roswell um, as, as the provost marshal and uh, retired as a colonel. Very circumspect in what he would say, very careful that he didn't give stuff away that we shouldn't know. Told me, for example, that Mac Brazel had been held in the uh, guest house on base. Not exactly the jail that uh, people talked about, but if there's a guard on the door and it's locked, yeah, it's pretty much jail. Just nicer nicer accommodations than, than if you were in the brig somewhere. So I look at all of that stuff and I said, you know, 25 years ago, I was completely convinced that Roswell was alien. In today's environment, I have to say, I can't find an explanation for it. Everything offered in the mundane explodes. It does, does not work. We're left with this body of testimony from very credible people, from Bill Brazel and Edwin Easley and Jesse Marcel, both senior and junior, and people like that. I find them very credible, but we don't have that one critical piece of evidence we can say, yeah, it's alien. I can't get there. You're talking about scientifically valid material evidence. Yes. We can look so, at level land where it interacts with the environment. We can look at landing trace cases, which are very persuasive. We can look at radar returns and gun camera film and all of that sort of thing. But we do not have that one thing that says to everybody, yeah, this is it. Short of one of these things coming down and landing and taking, you know, some scientists on a mothership tour, what level of evidence would satisfy these people? And this brings up the whole issue of what constitutes proof.
proof? Well, proof is just evidence that's sufficient to justify belief in a claim. And for some people, they need that level of evidence. And for other people, other levels of evidence or other kinds of evidence is good enough. And I fall into this latter category. Sure, it would be nice to have scientifically valid material evidence, but there are way too many people out there who've had these experiences, myself included, and I can't be the only one. We've got Kevin, Gene, and Randall. You're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Most of you know that heart disease is the number one silent killer in the U.S. What if I told you for just $54.95 a month you could fight against heart disease naturally? At Heart and Body Extract, we've been helping thousands of people get back to a healthier heart. Don't just take my word for it. Check out all of the success stories at hbextract.com. Or to order, call 866-295-5305. That's 866-295-5305. hbextract.com. Don't risk it when you can take charge of it. Complement your health with hemp-derived cannabinoid oil. We've always believed that the closer to Earth, the better it is for our bodies. Our hemp-derived cannabinoid oil is phytocannabinoid-rich, full-spectrum, and organically grown. Finally, hemp made easy, clean, and effective. GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. That's right, we cut through the red tape. It's now available at GCNHemp.com or call 877-878-4203. USA Radio News with Wendy King. At the Value Voters Summit in Washington, President Trump tied his decision to pull troops from Syria to migrants trying to enter the U.S. at the southern border. I don't think our soldiers should be there for the next 50 years guarding a border between Turkey and Syria when we can't guard our own borders at home. I don't think so. France and Germany have halted exports of arms to Turkey that could be used in its offensive against the Kurds in Syria and wants an immediate meeting of the U.S.-led coalition against the Islamic State. Turkey's actions are now facing international condemnation. Acting Homeland Security Secretary Kevin McAleenan has resigned. He said he wanted to spend more time with his family. This is USA Radio News. Hey, travelers, do you want to save money on your next flight? Then pick up the phone and call. That's right, call, because the best prices are not online. They're with SmartFares. See, SmartFares has special deals with the airlines. When they have unsold seats, they use SmartFares to fill them. So you get airline tickets at ridiculously low prices. Our prices are too low to publish online. With the extra money you'll save, you can book another trip or treat yourself to dinner or shopping. So stop searching all of those travel sites to find the lowest price on your next flight. Let one of our SmartFares expert travel agents find ridiculously low prices for you. Call SmartFares today and get the best price on your next flight. Guaranteed. Also, save up to 50% off business and first-class tickets. 800-871-3291. 800-871-3291. Again, that's 800-871-3291.
Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of MyPillow. And like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat. I would flip-flop all night long. I would wake up with a sore neck, maybe a headache, or feel like I needed a nap even though I slept eight hours. When I invented MyPillow, I wanted it to where you could move the patented fill to give you the exact support you need as an individual, regardless of sleep position. MyPillow will get you into that deep REM sleep faster, and you will stay there longer. It's not about how much time we spend in bed. It's about how much of that quality sleep we get. I do all of my own manufacturing right here in the United States. I have a 10-year warranty. You can wash and dry my pillow, and I give you a 60-day money-back guarantee so you have nothing to lose. And here's my best offer ever. You can buy one of my pillows and get one absolutely free. Go to MyPillow.com or call 800-870-0305 and use promo code GCN. That's MyPillow.com or 800-870-0305 with promo code GCN. Hi, this is Nick Pope. You're listening to the Paracast. As Randall's talking about the levels of evidence he would accept, and certainly a quantity of cases that can't be explained, at least demonstrates something where going on, if nothing else. Absolutely. And that was the one thing that really tripped me up on the um, Condon Committee. They had a case that they explained as a natural phenomenon so rare it had never been seen before or since. <laughs> and yet they, they said there's nothing of scientific value yeah. that we can learn by studying UFOs. Well, that seems to me something that if we studied that, we might learn something of scientific value. You know, and the Condon Committee was designed with one purpose in mind, and that was to debunk UFOs and get the Air Force out of the investigation. But we have the documents to prove that, so we don't even have to worry about that. And, and you know, it was a, it was a wonderful presentation. I mean, they have gone through every possible thing you can think of for what a UFO isn't and not what it is. I mean, it's good. I mean, if you really want to go through every other explanation and ones that even reach out there further than that, do it because you need to know all that stuff. And, but and that the, doesn't explain the other ones. Like our, our friend Stanton Friedman says, I'm not interested in all the ones that aren't. I'm interested in the ones that are. But the but the thing is, if we had sufficient, well, I'm not going to say that, that sufficient data may explain everything. We don't know. But we have some, inter- the, the Montana movie, the lights crossing the sky. Right. Clearly, there's no explanation for that, regardless of what the Air Force says and the Condon Committee determined it was jet aircraft. Uh, the, the fellow who took it, Mariana, said that before he got his camera out of his trunk, and started filming the objects, you could see the objects were disshaped. And in the first frames of the film, you could see that. And when his film was returned to him by the Air Force, those frames were missing. And we can demonstrate that the Air Force altered the film. The Air Force actually says in the documentation, we removed one frame because the sprockets were damaged. But I think it was Barry Greenwood did an analysis on the length of the film, meaning the the actual physical length, not the time, but how long it was, and determined that uh, several feet was missing from the discussion that they'd had prior to that. So now you're looking at it from, well, maybe this would have been sufficient proof for a lot of people had we had the entire frame. Or Level Land's the same way. Had the discussion not degenerated into an argument between Don Quixote and the Air Force about how many witnesses they were, maybe somebody could have done something. You've got the the alleged electromagnetic effects, and the Condon Committee talked about magnetic mapping of the cars that they could have done to determine if it had been exposed to a massive magnetic uh, field, but they didn't 
bother with it because uh, some woman had had a, a, a case where she said her car had been stalled by it and they did that sort of thing and they couldn't find any anomalies in it. So we just ignored that. They had an opportunity to investigate it. They had an opportunity to investigate it in 57 and it wasn't taken. And we can look at the Blue Book files. In fact, I did a book called The Best of Blue Book, which is really what we're supposed to be talking about, where I looked at some of these cases and looked at the explanations and said, this doesn't make any sense. And had a proper investigation been done at the time, we would have a different discussion right now. Oh, no doubt. Well, I mean, your book, okay, Invasion Washington, I keep going back to the DC-52 case because, I mean, there we had, what, two different airport radar systems. At least three. At least three at one point, and, and, and four if you count onboard radar of the interceptors. Yeah, that we're getting a visual radar lock after being vectored towards it. Then you get the guy, the one pilot, if I'm recalling this correctly, had his plane surrounded by these yes. blue lights and was asking for permission. Like, what should I do? Should I fire? What? And then these things go streaking off. I mean, how much more real proof do you need? You know, like, I mean, the, when you see that level of investigation, and attention put on trying to catch something that they don't know what it is. And it can only be some kind of a craft. But then again, when you get into the investigation, Rupelt's in Washington, D.C., learns about the sightings, but he's on orders to return to his home base, which is Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. He calls and tries to get his orders changed, and they tell him, no, you don't come back now. We're gonna be, you're going to be considered AWOL. Here's the top UFO investigator in the Air yeah. Force, and they're saying, yeah, we, we don't want you to look at these cases. Yeah, he wasn't that's... even involved in the press conference that they held in Washington, D.C. about this. And then they come up with this cockamamie uh, temperature inversion. Yeah, but I... I will say, I will say, I have to say this, that the greatest headline I've seen in a newspaper, a legitimate headline in a real-life, honest-to-God newspaper was, Saucer Swarm Over Capital. I mean, that's yeah, a headline yeah. right out of a science fiction movie. It is, really. And there was something going on that, that yes, was absolutely. along those something lines. Going on. And so now, uh, you know, all these years later, we've got guys, you know, like David Fravor and, and his group off the carriers with way more modern technology saying something else is going on, too. Like, and we have gun camera film. Uh, okay, so now here's where your psychology PhD can come in. Why is it that we have all of that kind of information, but that one key bit is constantly missing. Why is it that if, and I'm going to say it, I believe in alien visitation. I don't know if it's happening right now, but I do believe it's happened in the past. And yet we don't have the scientifically valid material evidence that we would need to convince the most hardened of skeptics that these are objectively real phenomena. Why are the aliens, if you were to assume that that's what they are, doing this to us? What kind of psychology is involved there? Well, I, I can't speak to alien psychology. Who knows what their motivations are? But I can speak to some other things. Back in 1948, when they did the estimate of the situation and concluded that it was interplanetary, the chief of staff of the Air Force said, no, I don't believe this. You have not proved your case. And everybody who was involved in that investigation, with the exception of some of the very lowest ranking people, found themselves out of a job. They were moved out of those locations they were working in and all. And the whole thing was scattered. And Air Force officers being bright people or military officers being bright people realized if we now believe in UFOs, our career is in jeopardy. What's more important, 
fostering this belief in UFOs, flying saucers, or my military career. So you had that going on. You also had the Robertson panel in 1953 saying, we need to debunk these things. Right. Even their own pilots. But Ruppelt really didn't like that at all. And look what happened to him. He was like transferred out. I don't know if he actually quit on his own or just no, got was, transferred he, out. His, his, if I was Ruppelt, I would have been really annoyed. Yeah, he was. He's, he's, recalled, he's recalled to active duty because of the Korean War. And then he ends up chasing, fly, chasing flying saucers. Well, had I been yeah. recalled to active duty, I'd want to go to Korea. I wouldn't want to be chasing flying saucers. You know, you're going to recall me to active duty, put me into an important, you know, not chasing flying saucers. Rubel did a good job the best he could, but his assignment ended. And they moved him out, I think, into another assignment, as they regularly did with some of these people, with the exception of uh, Quintanella. They left him in there forever, in a week. But most of the people who had the assignment as being the chief of Project Blue Book, uh, that site assignment ended and they went elsewhere. But they also picked people in the assignment after Ruppelt who were rabidly anti-saucer. So they they were making stuff up. I think it was the um, the uh, radar sightings at uh, Fort Monmouth uh, in, what, 51, oh, right, yeah. 52. Yeah, the Monmouth. Uh, and the general said, What's, well, the, the guy's attitude was, you know, when the stories come in there, well, we laugh at it for a minute, we figure out something, and then we file it, file it away, and we're done with it. And the general got really annoyed. He said, you mean you people have been lying to me these all these months? And he, he initiated another investigation. I think this is where Ruppelt came in. But after that was over, we got the Robertson panel saying we need to debunk these sorts of things, and they took that to heart. And the Air Force worked very hard to debunk it. And when you get to the Condon Committee, you, we've got the documentation to prove it. The Condon Committee said, uh, the, the Air Force said to the Condon Committee, here's what we want you to find, that there's no threat to national security. The Air Force has done a good job in their investigations, and we want to close the investigations off. And the Condon Committee wrote about, yeah, we can do that. And that's exactly what they did. The conclusions were written before the contract was even signed. Hey, exactly. you know, I got something that occurs to me because of all this happening so many years ago, the Condon Committee, it's over 50 years ago. Boy, time flies when you're having fun. And I want to ask about, since we're getting more serious attention to UFOs, whether there is some kind of disclosure in the midst. Uh, I wondered uh, that way, too. We're going to find I out. We're going to ask some too. questions about that in our next segment, final segment with Kevin D. Randall. Gene and Randall, you're in the Paracast. <laughs> listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. As you know, neighbors, web hosting can be pretty cheap, but not all hosting is the same. DreamHost wins best of awards year after year. You get unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, and even the low-cost plans put your sites on high-performance SSDs. Want to know more about what DreamHost has to offer? Go to technightowl.com slash host. Once again, that's technightowl.com slash host. 
First came Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success. And now there is the coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare, because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com. This is Fred. Uh, hi, I'm Fred. Fred's a repeater. I tend to repeat. Fred has a business. I do have a business. And a problem. Fred repeats the same tired advertising over and over, and now it doesn't work. Over and over. But Fred is about to see a vision. I'm seeing a vision. Advertising on the Genesis Communications Network is the smart way for Fred to reach his potential customers with the most affordable national advertising rates, period. Get started today with GCN, the Genesis Communications Network. Just email advertise at GCNlive.com. This is George Dory from Coast to Coast AM and History Channel's Ancient Aliens. We support the amazing energy, nutrition, and skincare products from Jeunesse. Jeunesse products are designed by leading doctors in their field with natural ingredients and even stem cell technology. These products help your body perform and look better. Shop Jeunesse at GCNLife.com or call 1-844-443-6637. GCNLife.com or 844-443-6637. Hi, this is Sophie Winnick, longtime distributor and user of Longevity products. In the last few years, my family went through a crisis. Everything else in my life, including my business, had to be put on the back burner. Thankfully, life is getting back to normal now. But the one thing I never had to worry about was my business and my monthly commission. I've been a distributor for Longevity for over 17 years, since before it was Longevity. And I've got to say, the most amazing thing about this company is the people. While my family was in crisis, other distributors stepped in and helped my customers simply because that's what longevity people do, even for people they don't know. For me, it has never been about getting rich. It was about a product I could stand behind, a company I could count on, and a monthly commission check that has never not once been late in 17 years. Longevity is truly a business for everyone, even people who have too much to do. I'm Sophie Winnick. I'm just like you. I have a real life, real ups and downs, but I know I will always have longevity. Jake was in big trouble with the IRS. He owed how much? $92,000. Ouch. The IRS left no room for Jake to breathe. They put a lien on my house, took all the money out of my bank account, took money out of my paychecks. So it was a nightmare. He needed help fast. I figured that all these companies were the same until I called federal tax management. You could just tell they knew what they were talking about. Right then and there, I felt like I had some hope. Stop the liens, levies, and garnishments fast and qualify for one of several special IRS programs that could reduce or even eliminate your tax debt. So, how'd it go for Jake? They did what they said they would do. They came through for me. I ended up saving an unbelievable amount. I was so jazzed. (laughs) I was extremely happy. If you owe more than $10,000 in back taxes... Take Jake's advice. Give federal tax management a phone call. If they help me, they can help anybody. Call the federal tax management hotline now. 800-503-8625. 800-503-8625. Hi, this is Joshua P. Warren, author of The Poor Man's Paranormal. And you're listening to The Paracast the gold standard of paranormal radio. So Kevin D. Randall, 
UFOs are kind of getting serious attention these days. We have the New York Times or someone says the failing New York Times and the Amazon, Washington Post and Politico. I can't add all the insults to each one, but we have respectable publications, cable news channels, taking UFOs seriously, bringing people on. Leslie Kane, Louis Elizondo, Nick Pope, whoever. Not Gene or Kevin Randall or Jay Randall Murphy. Wait, wait but a minute. We'll I get want a to chance. be with serious people. Yeah, serious people. So what's going on? Is that like a step towards some final disclosure or just a flash in the pan for a couple of years? I've done blog posts on this and and discussed it on on my radio program as well, that it looks like we're moving toward disclosure, that things have subtly changed. And no matter what you think of, of the New York Times, they are treating the topic seriously, where before they didn't. Uh, Don and I were going to do an interview with, I think, the Chicago Tribune back um, in the early days of the Roswell investigation. And we showed up and they sent an intern out to talk to us in the hallway. Well, how seriously are you taking the topic when we get an intern in the hallway? I mean, an intern in the office would have been nice, but we're out in the hallway. If the audience could see me now, I'm doing a face palm going like that is that is actually for someone of your level of credibility and experience in the military. That's actually insulting. Uh, and, and that's the point. They, they thought so little of it. We'll, get, we'll do an intern and we'll do it in the hallway. I don't know why they agreed to do the interview. But now we get the respectable newspapers and the respectable journalists. And even if you if even if you believe in the fake news and you, you watch how they have to keep changing the story to to follow their narrative. When you get to UFOs, they're treating it much more seriously. They're not making the jokes that they made. I remember uh, several years ago, they were having some sightings in New Jersey that were faked. And the people who were involved in uh, the sightings, the, the, the witnesses, were saying things that made it look like they were faked. And we found out they were faked. But the news media goes out and they're interviewing a little girl with a lollipop. And they say to her, what do you think of aliens? This isn't journalism. I don't care what a four-year-old girl with a lollipop thinks about aliens. Uh, let's talk to some of the witnesses and <laughs> see what they have to say. Yeah, good we, point. we learned that it was faked. I, I think there was a police officer the very night of the first sighting says, well, I think these are weather balloons with flares on them. And I think Mark D'Antonio from uh, MUFON, we can say NICAP, MUFON, uh, said his first reaction was either Chinese lanterns or flares attached to balloons. I mean, they knew immediately what they were. They, the guys wanted to trust the credibility of the researchers, and the researchers saying these were weather balloons with flares, and the news media is out there interviewing four-year-old kids with a lollipop. Okay, so we've got guys like Chris Mellon, who does seem to have some pretty impressive credentials. I think he's writing or has a column with the Times. Now, that's good. But, and you can comment on this too, what I've consistently found with the media is that the reporters have no ufology background. I, I had to write to the editor of the Times actually just last week saying that the guy who was talking about it didn't even know how to actually spell UFO properly. He was putting periods between each of them, including after the F and between the S, and really didn't understand the background of the phenomena and that they're leaving themselves open to being caught by all of the mistakes that can be made when you're not experienced in the field itself. So someone like you would be perfect for them to actually write a column. Well, like you say, maybe just give it to a junior reporter who can go out and fill some space. 
me as a sophisticated reporter well, doesn't believe in UFOs, for crying out loud. But that's the other side of the coin. To really understand the phenomenon, you have to spend a great deal of time looking into the history of it. And, and that's one of the problems. So you end up, you go to the, what they do is they go to the internet and they look some stuff up on the internet and then they, they run with that. They do not bother to fact check what they read on the internet because you can get some really good stuff on the internet about UFOs. I'm thinking of my blog specifically. And you can get some real crap where the guy is way out in left field and doesn't have a clue, but he's making the stuff up as he goes along and it sounds good. Well, you see, part of the problem, I think, also these days is that newspapers, the media in general, they don't have the budgets to engage in serious investigative journalism. And certainly UFOs may not qualify. But even if they did, they wouldn't be able to put reporters there to do it. They hire somebody to write the story. They do some cursory research and get on with their business. It's not a story that, that has any importance to the overall general public. We need to know what's going on in Washington. We need to know what's going on with the president. We need to know what's going on with the investigations. We need to know that stuff because that affects us directly. But flying saucers whizzing through the atmosphere, you know, it's of great interest to a great many of us, but it really doesn't affect our lives. If one lands and they get out and said, here's a cure for cancer or here's here's a way of eliminating fossil fuels. That's going to impact an awful lot of people, and the topic's going to become much more serious at that point. <laughs> Unless they land outside of some big pharma office and with the cure to cancer, in which case they'll say, like, look, get out of here right now before anybody sees you. We don't want that. Yes, bring it to us because we can charge a boatload of money for this son bitch. Well, not a cure. I mean, they need treatments that are going to keep making them. I mean, we could get into that whole conspiracy, which is well, not yes. a conspiracy. But I mean, they've said themselves that they could be making huge strides with immunotherapy, but they can't patent it. So they continue with the chemo. But before we go on with any of that, hey, look, for our listeners, you've got a whole bunch of books and not just UFO books. You've written some fiction books, too. You've got some sci-fi out there. Looks pretty interesting. You remind me of our one of our recent guests, Mac Maloney, who's written some of the chopper ops stuff you might like. So maybe uh, tell us a bit about some of the fiction work that you do as well. Back in the early days when I wanted to become a writer because I thought it was better than heavy lifting, a friend of mine, Bob Fortnite, <laughs> would go to science fiction conventions, and we wanted to write science fiction, and we were looking to meet editors, and editors go to science fiction conventions, and we met a, um, a woman who was looking to build her stable of writers. She was looking, and so she signed us up, and she called me one day and said, uh, can you write books about the Green Berets in Vietnam? And I said, but of course. If she'd called and said, can you write about nurses in hospitals? I would have said, but of course, because the point was to become a writer. I did uh, with Bob Cornett. We did a series called Vietnam Ground Zero, which I based a lot of the information in the books on my experiences in Vietnam so that the, the sceneries and the locations and everything were accurate because I'd been there and I'd seen that sort of thing. So we did a lot of that. Uh, Bob and I also wrote science fiction. We did, we did a book called Remember the Alamo. We invented time travel and they sent mercenaries back to win the Battle of the Alamo. So they could uh, invade northern Mexico and get the oil fields near Matamoros was a whole. Uh, oh, that sounds pretty interesting. This was at the time the movie The Final Countdown came out. And I was very disappointed because we never got the um, big furball with the Japanese. And so I went back and I rewrote the final battle scene so that uh, the guys with the modern weapons just annihilated the Mexican soldiers. Because, you know, if you've got machine guns 
that's a real force multiplier. And they'd set up the Claymore mines at one point and they would fired it back toward the wall. So when the Mexicans would trigger the Claymores and kill them and they were sniping at the officers at, you know, a thousand yards and that sort of thing. So we rewrote the scene so it would reflect what we would want to have seen in a movie like that. For listeners who want to know more about what Kevin D. Randall does, where do they go? Oh, www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. And it's got links to my radio program, so you can listen to it there on the Exxon Broadcast Network. And look at Amazon for my books like Encounter in the Desert, which is a coral landing, and I think is uh, doing very well from the uh, editorial comments I've read. Sounds great to me. We're always glad to have him on. You can find us on Twitter. Look for The Paracast. Look for two Paracast fan clubs, groups, communities, whatever they call it, at Facebook. Also look for the Paracast Plus. We want you to join because this is the best way to support the show. And what you get is this show with better quality audio, higher bit rate, all that stuff, free of the network ads. And you also get the After the Paracast podcast where you never, ever know what's going to happen. Sometimes we don't. It could be color commentary, special interviews. Last week, for example, we had Calvin Parker on our main episode on After the Paracast. We featured the weekly update from William Puckett. And then we had Philip Mantle talking about his background in publishing UFO books and a lot of other stuff because he's been around for quite a while. To get more information about the Paracast Plus, go to plus.theparacast.com, plus.theparacast.com. Kevin D. Randall. We can go on for four more hours. Thank you for joining us on the Paracast. Loved every minute of it. The Paracast, featuring Gene Steinberg, is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in The Paracast.